Good evening. I'd like to call to order this April 26, 2022 school board work session. Ms. Goodell, could you please take the roll? Uh, yes, Dr. Dimmick. Here. Ms. Downs. Here. Dr. Gould. Here. Dr. Ortiz. Here. Mr. Reitinger. Here. Ms. Silverman. Here. And Ms. Tice. Here. Thank you. Thank you. If you could all join me in saying the Pledge of Allegiance. Thank you. If I could please have a motion to adopt the agenda. Yes, thank you, Dr. Ortiz. I move to adopt the agenda as presented. Thank you. Could I have a second? Second. Thank you, Vice Chair Gould. All those in favor say yes. 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 All those opposed say no. Great. Motion carries. And we will move on into our work session now. And we'll be starting. Um, with uh, item 2.01, collective bargaining update. And so I wanted to give the school board an update as was promised. Uh, you all will remember that um, just recent, at our last meeting, uh, this board adopted or approved uh, a, that, the, um, that we form a committee, a special committee that would draft a collective bargaining resolution uh, for your consideration. And that committee had its first meeting last week and had its second meeting today. So I wanted to just give you a brief update on that. And I know um, Dr. Dimmick will be um, joining in as well, and, and perhaps Dr. Noonan. So wanted to let you know that the membership of that committee, uh, Dr. Noonan is our chair. And I asked him to serve as the chair. And Ms. Goodell is on that committee um, taking our minutes. And a big thank you to Ms. Goodell, because she does <laughs> enough for us. So she's we're really calling her in for some double duty here. So thank you, Ms. Goodell. Uh, our, our teacher representatives are uh, Farrell Kelly, who's representing the secondary level, Emily Donovan, who's rec representing the elementary level, um, Debbie Liang, who's representing the support staff, and um, they also have um, some legal representation, um, and their attorney is, uh, her name is Kathy Lee. And then on the management side, we have Ms. Valerie Hardy, who is our head of secondary schools, um, Kristen Michael, who's our COO, and of course, Trish Schmitzen, who is the school board attorney. And then Sue uh, Dimmick and I are serving as the school board reps. So that's, that's the committee. Um, the one thing that you know, we've, we've noted, the group has noted more than once um, that we don't have anyone from the operations staff on that committee. And so you know, that's an important part of our uh, school system. And I often say that when operations is running right, you don't even realize we have operations. And so uh, that is something that we keep talking about. And um, I know that Debbie Liang, as a support staff person, is going to be reaching out to the operations staff to try to get their, their feedback throughout this process. Uh, so a couple things that happened at our first meeting, sort of a housekeeping meeting. We agreed on operational norms, um, talked about really assuming positive intentions on everyone's part, the need you know, to uh, communicate clearly and constructively. Uh, we developed some essential agreements, um, making sure students are always at the forefront, making sure that, data's are, that statements are rooted in facts and data, and remembering the voices not present, again, um, our operations staff. And we also talked about, really, what would, what would we define as positive outcomes. Um, and we talked about really keeping kids at the center, coming up with something that's simple, fair, and practical. 
And then we did talk about challenges, the number one being our tight timeline. As you may remember, um, this group is supposed to come back to the school board on May 31st with a, uh, res a proposed resolution that the school board would consider. So, um, I'm echoing, sorry. Uh, okay. Got it? Okay. So, uh, Dr. Noonan did remind the committee that the school board has the final authority on whether to accept or reject the proposed resolution or we can modify it. So that was made clear. That was our first meeting. Our second meeting was just uh, a couple hours ago. And today's meeting, we dug in a little bit more on the scope of what a resolution would look like. And um, Dr. Dimmick and I talked about the fact that, um, you know, as a school board, we want to make sure that um, the resolution is not too broad. So, for example, something something that, and this is talking about items that could be bargained for, bar bargained on. And so, one would be, you know, if you listed hours, well, hours is very, very broad. And so, um, Dr. Dimmick and I explained that that would be. Um, that would give us some some pause because we don't want things that are too broad and not understanding what really um, what, what how that's defined so we talked about that and um, the teachers of course had some thoughts too of what what they you know in terms of the scope so we went back and forth um, about it was a very good conversation I think very honest and um, we listened to each other uh, one of the things that as Dr. Dimmick and I were talking about it we talked about the fact that for us as a school board, we're elected by the community. So when there are certain things like the school calendar or the start and end times of a school day, things that our community um, really expect us to be in charge of and that you know we're listening to their feedback on those, those are things that we wouldn't really see that would be on the table to be bargained for. But what we did talk about is a cal calendar using that example, even though we might not want to say say that that would be something that we would bargain over we could include um, members of the um, the exclusive um, representative in that calendar process so there's an official much more formalized um, communication piece to that calendar so they would have more formalized input and so we talked about a lot of I think we all agreed both the whole room agree that a lot of this comes down to communications and maybe formalizing some of our uh, methods of communications and um, I think that's it. So we, we, that was the gist of the conversation. It was, it was very good and positive. And, you know, I think we all, um, you know, we see things differently, but I think we can definitely find a middle ground. Our next meeting, we're going to be talking about really getting into the nitty gritty of what would, what we, what we could buy, what we could bargain for. Um, and so what I'm going to ask you, and, and I'll ask Dr. Dimmick to jump in and cover what I missed or correct me if I misstated anything, but um, what I will be doing, and I'll ask the school board um, really to, you know, it's, it's your, your responsibility, our responsibility, just keep up with what's going on in these meetings. So I'll be sending you out the minutes after each meeting. We just approved the minutes from the first meeting, so I'll be sending those out to you shortly. And please just really read through those um, so that you're familiar. And if you have any questions, please reach out to Dr. Dimmick or myself. And also, we're working on an actual list of items that would be um, that we would consider bargaining for, and we're trying to categorize those, whether they would be salaries or benefits or working conditions, and that's what we'll be digging into deep. But I'll also send you that list so you have a sense of what are these things that we're talking about in these meetings. So I think once you read the minutes and those other accompanying documents, I think you all will have a better sense of um, some of the conversations that have been going on in these meetings. Dr. Dimmick, please. 
Oh, thanks. Um, Chair Downs, you've done a great job of summing up where we are, so I don't really have a whole lot to add. I would just say that, that we are having good conversations, um, and I think this compiling a list of, of items is useful because it, it is an opportunity for us to understand where our staff is coming from and what issues they are interested in. Um, I, I guess I would like to remind the board that we did, we, we in our, our vote um, earlier this month, um, did, you know, we, we came to the table sort of agreeing to engage in collective bargaining and, and you know, we have a draft resolution we brought, they have a draft resolution they brought, and our draft resolution already includes um, 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 wages and benefits. So we've, we've already gone, we are already there. Um, I just, I'm also saying that since I think most of the Northern Virginia community in general is not paying attention to, to this, and I'm hoping that our community, you know, at least knows it's going on. So if we mention it at each meeting, maybe our community will register that, you know, yes, okay, this is happening and I will pay attention. Thank you, Dr. Dimmick. Uh, Dr. Noonan, do you have anything to add? Okay. No, He's doing, and I'm happy to report he's um, doing an admirable job as chair of the committee. <laughs> um, any questions from the school board? Quick question about the, yes. uh, what's the, the intervals of meeting uh, that you all are meeting? How's it, how often is that happening each week? Yeah, so we're meeting twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays for an hour and a half. Uh, so we met Thursday and we met today and then we'll meet again on, on this coming Thursday. So pretty much every Tuesday and Thursday with I think one exception until May 31st. So yes, Ms. Silverman. Do you have a calendar or a schedule that of what you hope to achieve at each, each meeting just so we stay on track on the timeline? Yeah, we can send you definitely um, some of the, uh, we don't have like a set calendar but things that we're looking to do at the next meeting you know I think um, we've really tried to uh, stay it's tough it's an hour and a half meeting and so and you know we don't want if we're making progress in our conversations we don't want to well, I'm speaking for for Dr. Noon he's the chair but I think you know when 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 we're making progress as a con with the conversation we sort of want to keep that going and so we don't we don't always hit everything like I think we were hoping we would have already um, dug into that list today but we're gonna have to wait till till Thursday and also give the teachers a chance to sort of bounce things off the staff to see are there things on that list that that we need to add that aren't already on there so I'll send you that you'll see on the agendas that will say like next time we're going to try to talk about this and that thank you for to both of you and to uh, Dr. Noonan for working on this any questions from uh, those joining remotely okay all right, well, that's it. We will keep you uh, posted and, and keep you updated at each meeting. And as I said, I will send you shortly, send out shortly the minutes from the last meeting, as well as that list I told you that we're working on as a group. So, um, so thank you to everyone for your input. And uh, we appreciate the, the teacher's time and, uh, and also the staff's time who've, who've joined us. So we'll be moving on now to section 2.02 CIA data presentation update. And I'll turn that over to Dr. Noonan. Thank you, Chair Downs. Good evening, everybody. It's nice to see all of you both virtually and in person. Um, this evening, we have an opportunity uh, for part one of our um, annual data presentation. And tonight's presentation um, from Mr. Bates and, and Dr. Weilenman 
um, really is to sort of set the table, if you will, for what you will see in the data presentation that's coming up. Um, and part of the reason that I say will be coming up is because we don't really have any data to share with you because of the time of year. Um, typically, we give the data presentation in the early fall. Um, but, but tonight, um, what you're gonna hear is, uh, what is it that we're collecting? Why is it that we're collecting what we're collecting? Um, and, and how it's gonna be presented. We um, had a presentation not too long ago, I wanna say probably two or three months ago, um, with the board and there was some good feedback um, that Dr. Weilman and Mr. Bates took in. And tonight, um, looking forward to hearing what they are gonna share with us, um, but also wanna just sort of manage expectations that tonight you're not getting data. Um, but it's more about information of what it is that you're going to be getting and, and why. So uh, with that, I'll turn it over to Mr. Bates. Thank you, Dr. Noonan, and uh, thank you, Chair Downs and Vice Chair Gould and the rest of the board, um, those in person and those uh, who are remote. As Dr. Noonan said, this will be one of um, two presentations. This evening, we really wanted to um, be able to share with you some of the work that we do out of the Office of Assessment and Accountability, which falls under um, the Curriculum Instruction and Achievement Office, and look more specifically at um, how we are collecting data, our assessment for students, also state compliance measures, and overall data collection and, and reporting. We know that, um, as Dr. Noonan shared, that it, it's important that when we even the very mention of data presentation, the, um, typically the first thought is we're gonna look at student data metrics and, and take a dive into how our, um, are our students performing, um, how, what are uh, potentially some of the growth measures, and we're gonna get into that, but, but not in, in that presentation. Just to give you um, a little insight, and you can move on to the next slide, please. Um, but but to give you a little um, insight, and the next slide has our, our um, purpose for this evening, but where we are currently, um, we're currently, um, great, thanks. But we're, we're currently um, starting our SOLs and our VAP assessments. Our AP and IB assessments are going to begin in May and go into the um, early early June timeframe. And then also our um, STAR and our VKRP, which is our Virginia Kindergarten Readiness, as well as our PALS will begin in the May, May timeframe and go into the June timeframe. So we really wanted to, one, not, um, not delay the presentation, but take advantage of an opportunity to share how are we again, pooling data and also talk about our strategic plan, the work that we've done over this past year and how we're gonna use that strategic plan to help um, guide some of, our, some of our data collection and data identification. Uh, one thing I would also like to mention before we move on to the next slide, this, the state um, uses a term, they refer to what's called scrub data. And scrub data um, as we look at, for instance, your SOLs, scrub data would be all of the data that is approved and certified by the state after all eligible students have been able to take an assessment um, in a specific category. And those students who may not have been successful that first go round after having intervention, having a, another opportunity to take the test, if they 
pass the test the second time or if they score within a window of it's right around 375 to, to 399, they would be eligible for a verified credit. And so we wanna be able to have all of that data scrubbed and sent back to us prior to um, giving the preliminary, here's where we think we are. So it'll be um, much more accurate. This, this next slide here, this provides um, an assessment window. So, and I shared a, a little bit about this. So if you all don't mind, I'll kind of look. Can y'all hear me? I'm gonna put both of them here just to make sure. Since I am nearsighted, I don't have to keep switching back and forth from my, from my glasses because strangely enough, it's actually hard for me to see that huge 90 inch uh, screen with, with, uh, with the slides there. But um, uh, as you can see in, in this assessment window and, and we talked uh, or, or I talked a little bit about it um, just a few minutes ago, this just gives you an idea of kind of where we are with with our um, assessment windows. And so this includes most of our standardized assessments, which again, typically, uh, whether it's school staff, boards, or the community, when we start talking about student data, you're gonna to wanna to see data on our SOL scores, our WIDA, um, AP, IB, and et cetera. In the late winter, early spring, the assessments, we begin uh, ramping up our assessments. And then that late winter, which is right around that March to the mid, really mid spring, um, May timeframe, early June, uh, we would receive our uh, raw data and then we would start the coding process. Moving into the late spring, early summer, we would receive the assessment data from the state and that would be the finalized and certified scrub data. Once we receive that data over the summer, we're then able to uh, look at that at, at a district level, but then also share it with our schools and have them start diving into the data. And then when we get back um, in August, right around the September, October timeframe, after we've had an opportunity to really um, dig in and start those collaborative measures and look uh, more specifically at our responsiveness, we would be uh, much better in a much better position to share the data publicly along with our response to to the data so we mentioned that we will have a a follow-up in that uh, September uh, time frame and what we wanted to do here is just provide you a list of some of the data that we plan on sharing publicly and with the school board and so that's going to include our our test scores and our achievement metrics we also wanna take a deeper dive into our mental health and, and wellness data. That's something that we've looked at um, previously, but as you all are aware, over the last two years, we've really taken a, a deeper dive into that because we, we know that, uh, again, and you'll hear this, um, this said, but we know our students are more than just test scores. And we also know that their emotional wellness and well-being uh, plays a big part in not just how they achieve but how they access their learning so we want to have a deeper understanding and so we'll be able to report some of the uh, data metrics around that our graduation rates are are important so we'll have all of that for you and then our gifted identification process and any updates 
or modifications that um, we've looked at and we've, we have done so over the, over the past year. And so we'll be able to share that as well as some specific numbers with our gifted identification. And then the enrollment into our advanced academics uh, programs as it relates to the equity work that we do, we'll be able to give you some fine numbers on um, overall numbers of students who were enrolled in our advanced academics programs, but also um, the specific subgroups and percentages and numbers of students who are accessing our most rigorous curriculums. So before I get started, I just want to say thank you for inviting me this evening. It's, it's great to be back. Um, um, I'm excited to share with you some of the projects that we're working on uh, related to data. And, um, it's not all data numbers, but it's cleaning up our data, it's cleaning up our platforms. Um, before I started, I just wanted to mention two staff members who are, are working diligently behind the scenes. Um, Leah Kirk, who is our data specialist, and Steve Knight, who you guys have, he's come and spoke to your committee before, but he's been a, a major help. Sorry, my bad. Uh, you want me to start over? So they can hear. Okay, sorry about that. Uh, thank you for inviting me tonight. Um, I'm excited to share some of the things we've been working on um, in the Office of Assessment and Accountability. Uh, and before I start, I wanted to just mention two staff members who have been working diligently behind the scenes. Uh, Leah Kirk is our data specialist, and she's really been doing a lot to help um, help us get our system even better than it has been. And then Steve Knight who I think is all, he's come to these presentations before and so you all know him. He has been, been diligently helping us as well behind the scenes. During COVID, technology and data became front and center as many of the platforms and data collection methods were used. Now that the dust is settling, we need to review what happened and refine our data techno and technology. Um, we at FCC have started that process. Um, and so we're going to go through a few things that we've been working on for that. And so the first area we're going to talk about is data. So we're looking at five points here, a, a kind of a process that we looked at as we were going through. Data identification, data integrity, staff access to data, um, student access to data, and finally parent access to data. So I'm going to kind of review a little bit on each one so you get a, get a feel for what we've been working on. on this one. Thanks, Dr. Weilman. So over the, over the past year, we really dug into um, developing our strategic plan. This is a five-year strategic plan. And so what we listed here are four core areas, four of the five core areas that we wanted to um, help to drive how we collect data. And so you can see there, and um, as uh, Chair Downs mentioned earlier, and and what she was sharing in her update, students have to be at the center um, of everything we do. And so as we're collecting data, as we're determining which data uh, we want to collect and, and report out, we have to keep students at the center. We also have to be responsive and accountable, especially as it relates to communication. And so as we're working with our communities, our, our community stakeholders, our parents and uh, staff alike, it's important that we um, keep that understanding that as it relates to data, we have to be responsive, responsive in our instructional practices, but we're also responsive in our, our communication. And so we felt that that was uh, important. Also being inclus inclusive and diverse. Uh, so how are we collecting diverse data sets, but then also how does that relate to our students? 
and our students in their performance as well as their access. And then that community connection, remaining uh, connected to our community. And again, as it related to the strategic plan, uh, that included um, board members, staff, teachers, school-based administrators, central office staff, as well as student voices. And so maintaining that, that community connection. And so we felt if, we're, if we're, we put all of this effort into our strategic plan, and the strategic plan is guiding the work that we lead in so many areas, whether it's operations, curriculum, and instruction, then it also needs to be our North Star um, for our data and, and guiding our data collection. So that is our framework. Um, we wanted to share some of the data identification needs that we have and we're actually very data rich here in our district. Some, some of it is by design and some is by requirement. So we're going to kind of go over some of those things and they call it, kind of fall into five buckets and you can see the five buckets there. State and federal data points, external data points, academic, strategic plan data points, and then the famous other buckets. Um, so let's start with the um, federal and BDO, BDOE compliance. And so every year we're required to report certain things to the state, and those are set by the state, different timelines for different things. Uh, I want to thank Julie uh, Macrina, Jennifer Santiago, Kristen Michael, Michelle Kopic, Leah and Steve, of course, for spearheading much of the, the compliance work. It's not easy. It's also nobody knows about it, doesn't know what's going on. It's kind of behind the scenes, um, and it takes time. Um, but we try to keep that away from staff as much as we can. We keep it here centrally so that we can just, teachers can work on teaching, and we'll take care of these requirements. So those are kind of the yearly reports, and I'm not going to read each one. Um, the next slide talks about um, standard reports, or a little more than just these standards reports, and these are monitoring reports. And you can see we can be monitored on a, in a number of different areas. Um, this year we actually had a number of um, monitoring visits, so to speak. And so I'm going to quickly review those. Uh, the, the Title II, which is related to teacher development, professional development, um, we, we actually were monitored by the state. It was a virtual monitoring trip, and also um, we had to complete a federal survey this year. Um, Title IV, which, which is also related to professional development, we will be monitored there. That was scheduled last month, and unfortunately the person who was going to monitor us got injured seriously, and so it's been postponed indefinitely. Um, but we have submitted the initial documentation for that report, and so we're just waiting to hear back from the state. Um, we had a working conditions survey that was required for high school. It was staff and students. Um, as you may or may not know, the, we did have our technical review of our gifted plan. Um, and that, those results have been sent back. Um, the Virginia Preschool Initiative was visited this year as well. Um, and then, uh, and that, those are the ones that actually happened this year. And for those, it's a much more robust data request. Usually we have to submit some type of um, report, a self-report. Then they send us back questions and then we are interviewed um, virtually. If it's virtually, it's a half a day. If it's in person, thankfully, well, we didn't have any uh, in-person ones, it's a full day. Um, but we, we, we thought we did very well. Um, we have not gotten back any of the, re the preliminary reports yet, but when we do, we will, we will forward those to you. Um, we also have some, some external data points that we collected this year. Um, we, uh, needless to say, had the five-year um, plan or five-year evaluation for the 
or IP, so we had the MYP, DP, and the PYP, and as you've probably heard, we've done, did very well on that, so we're very proud of that. Um, and we did get data, we got feedback, the self-reports gave us information. Um, we also, the strategic plan, um, especially the front part, gave us a lot of tremendous data from the community. Um, so we're using that, that to, to kind of not only make the plan or develop the plan, but also as a way for us to compare other data sets that we will um, be collecting. And then finally, the uh, climate, social, emotional survey from K-12 Insight that was just completed right before spring break. Um, the board should be getting a, um, a review of that in the end of May, I believe. Um, so you'll get, we'll get some very good data from that. Um, I, I must admit, I'm very, it's very interesting to see the social emotional piece for students. I think it's a very important piece of data that we're going to be getting. Um, so I, I look forward to hearing what K-12 has to say and, and, and what we're going to do about that. Um, so those were very important things. Thank you. All right, so this next table here, we, what we wanted to do was categorize our academic data points. And again, what, oftentimes when we talk about data presentations, these are the things that we know folks want to see. This is what our teachers want to get, our, get their hands on. This is what our admin want to get their hands on so they can start digging into, uh, in, into those numbers. If you look horizontally across the top bar, we have our state required data. So that's gonna be your um, SOL data, your PALS, again, VKRP, as well as your WIDA access. And um, then you have your, your IB data. And so that would include your IB diplomas as well as your IB DP assessments. But we know that it's, it's important to go above and beyond looking at, well, how many students how many, how many students earned an IB diploma versus how many students actually applied to, for an um, IB diploma? How many students uh, sat through an IB assessment and what, uh, what score did they earn or an AP assessment and, and what score did they earn? We also want to look at those extended essays. How did they do on those? We want to look at our um, younger, younger years and the students who are engaging in the exhibitions and the community projects and in the personal projects because again it's not just that end game with graduation rates ip ib uh, dp assessments and ap exam percentages of threes it's also in those younger years those students who are engaging in that that rigorous curriculum how are how are they doing and are um, again back, going back to that community connection we know that those things when we look at that I that second column the the third uh, or the yeah the third box fourth box in that column with the exhibitions and the projects that we can't accomplish that unless we have the mentors who are community members and and non-education uh, educating uh, staff members um, and, and those who are willing to volunteer to engage the students and give the students a uh, feedback. For our certificates, the bi-literacy certificate is, is something that we wanted to include and so we'll report out on that in the fall because we have a number of students who are, uh, are fluent in two languages, but we have students who are fluent in multiple languages and to have graduates going you know, out into the world 
fluent in multiple languages and receiving a certification or a certificate um, for that is, is definitely something that, that uh, deserves um, commendation. And so we'll, we'll look at that. Our CTE and our work readiness um, skills and our um, NOCTI will report on that as well as the language assessments. And then we have our college prep and that includes our PSAT. We've already mentioned our AP and IB DP assessments, but we'll include that and our SAT and AC uh, data. And so the final category, which would be our STAR, as you all are aware, we have used STAR assessments in, in FCCPS for uh, more than 10 years now. And we, we really like the STAR assessment because it is aligned with SOLs and it's a good predictor of performance on the SOLs, but it also allows us to measure students' growth over a period of time. And so we'll, we, we will include that. And then our benchmark data. We wanted to make you aware of a few of some of the changes from BDOE which will impact our assessment calendar in, in the upcoming years. And due to those new requirements, we may need to figure out a way to alleviate some testing burden from teachers. Um, the first thing is the new VAP, which started this year. Um, we have very few students who take the VAP, but it is new. We're not quite sure how that data is going to be broken out or how it's going to look, um, partly because the state hasn't told us yet. So once we find out, we'll let you know. Um, uh, the VAP is for uh, students who cannot access the SOLs um, due to their disability. Um, so again, we have very few of those, um, st those students. Um, it's, it's an alternate assessment for SOLs, basically. Um, starting next winter, we are going to be having the growth assessment in winter. So we will, for SOLs, be having the growth assessment in the fall. We'll be having the growth assessment in the winter, and then we'll be having the SOL in the spring. We know that the scale they're going to use is going to be adjusted. We're not sure how that's going to look yet. We don't have that from the state. Um, we do know that that will be more of a burden on schools because when you suddenly have to test third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth three times a year, it becomes a little harder. Um, and we are just looking at ways to make that happen. Um, our understanding is the test will be slightly shorter, but you know we just don't know what that means at this point. But we will follow up with you on that once we know. I, I just want to chime in just to make sure that Please. that's clear that um, the, the growth assessment that will happen in the fall and the winter are SOL light essentially assessments that are coming from the state and will be required to do that three times. Correct. And then finally, and this was news that broke this week, um, the, the state is looking at doing an integrated reading and writing SOL. Um, the ramification is that the reading assessment will become two days. Um, and if you look at that, it's third through eighth grade. Um, and we are not sure at this point if they're going to take the writing assessment away or not. We're, we're hoping. Um, right now, there is not a writing assessment at fifth grade. We use a, um, a performance-based assessment. We'll have the option to take that away, take that off the table. But again, we need more details. Um, but this is coming fast and furious. And so we wanted to make you guys aware of some of the things, some of the changes that legis the legislation is, is posing uh, some challenges for us as it relates to um, the SOLs. So, we spent some time talking about those academic data points, but we also have non-academic data points that are important for us to, to look at and, and measure. Uh, 
we, we want to include like our honors, the various honors, um, as well as the participation rates and, and the staff data, because again, we, we know that it's about, it's about more than just teaching and assessing students, but it's what, what is their educational journey and um, how have we helped them to become what, what they are or where they are um, in, in this educational journey. We know that um, there's a, a great level um, of curiosity and, uh, and concern for the world and the community uh, as it relates to our students. And because of that, as it relates to IB, we know that that pushes our students to engage in the learning just a little bit differently than um, maybe some of our other students. And because, because of that and that the work that we do around our IB for all, our students are, they're more than just students. They're, some of them are community organizers. Um, they're mentors. They uh, support, the, some of our older students support um, younger students at, at the elementary levels, you know, reading and helping, tutoring and helping them uh, do their, their homework. They, um, they're athletes, they're musicians, um, but most importantly, they're different difference makers. And we wanna be able to highlight that. And you can't always capture that in a raw score or a, or a percentage. And so you can see what we have there as far as national awards, um, college uh, matriculations, um, athletic successes. Uh, we wanna be able to share, share that, but also the participation. They're more, they're more than students. They're actively involved in engaging deeply in, in their schools and in their communities. So we, we want to highlight that. And then we felt that it was also important when you, if you look over to the far right, the staff data, because our students can't achieve at the levels they're achieving if staff aren't equipped to support them. And so we wanna be able to report out on the number of staff who have earned um, advanced degrees or are continuing to um, work through our partnership with Virginia Tech and UVA and um, in, in advancing their degrees, but also our uh, national board certification um, awardees, those who are becoming recertified or those who are going through the process for the first time. All of those um, things go above and beyond the not basic, but your standard professional development and training that, that teachers would receive. And so we want to be able to highlight and report out on those, those data points. And then that, that last one is external um, accolades. We have yearly, we have a number of, of our staff who are, they're published. Uh, you can find their works in professional journals and, and articles. And um, we're often asked to provide professional development or webinars, seminars on the national level. And that's um, due to the, the work and the professionalism that, that we engage in above and beyond just teaching in, in the classroom. And all of that trickles down um, to our students. And so we wanna be able to highlight some of those, those data points as well. So we mentioned the, the strategic plan a little earlier and again we we want to be able to use this strategic plan as as our north star as i shared uh, previously 
we didn't just first of all it was a, a year in the making and, and we're still putting on uh, the final uh, the final um, finishing touches and so we're excited to be able to share that public publicly in in the very near future but when we look at the work that that went into the strategic plan the wide swath of professionals and experts that are all our own you are uh, superintendent's leadership team or school admin or students we were able to come together and look at our mission and our vision look and, and from that develop core values and um, then from that identify kind of our our guidepost and, and, and the things that are going to guide our work it only makes sense that we use our strategic plan to support our how, what data we collect and and how we use it the other thing that that we want to point out is that part of this strategic plan requires us to look at our own progress towards our key actions that, that we make toward the key actions and we develop the number of key actions under a number of primary areas and so we're going to need to get lean and um, very clear around the data that we're pulling and using that's going to help us address areas of need but also um, give us the information that lets us know that we've made the adequate and appropriate progress toward um, those key us those key actions successfully meeting the the goals in those key actions from year one to up through year five Now that we've reviewed data, let's switch gears a little bit and review some of the refinements we are going to make to our platforms and our resources. The reasons we need to address our platform and software relates to technology getting better, vendors buying other vendors up, uh, and the need for our platforms to seamlessly talk to each other. This is a process, this is a process not an overnight fix, but something we hope will make staff, student, and family interaction with our platforms more usely. Uh, and a lot of these have, have already are well underway. So let's start with PowerSchool. Uh, as you know, that is our um, central core sys or our, our data information system. Um, one of the big things that happened last last year is we switched from self-hosting to cloud hosting from the from PowerSchool. Um, it has been a difficult transition to say the least. And at some point this fall, um, William and Peter agreed and thankfully agreed to let us do a self-audit. Um, so we brought in a company to help us take a look at what's going on with our platform, what changes we need to make. Uh, and that was a very useful um, step and it gave us a roadmap to how we need to refine our system, update some things, delete some things um, that are outdated. Um, and the focus of that was really on enrollment, the enrollment piece, and then our core system. Because if the data is not accurate, then it, you know it's, it's kind of that bad data in, bad data out, same thing. If we don't, we need to get good data going in and then we can have good data coming out. So we're slowly working through that process. Um, some tasks can't be done during the school year. So you know, right in the middle of the year, we can't say, oh, we're gonna unplug the teacher grade book and fix that. Um, so a lot, some of those things are waiting till the summer, but we, we do have a pretty good two-year plan on how we're gonna get it, get it happening. Um, so we're well underway on our power school revamp. Uh, 
The next one is Renaissance. Renaissance has actually been a wonderful partner for us. Um, they um, understand that we all we have a similar philosophy. Um, while they're part of their model is obviously getting data for us, we use the star assessment to get data. But that they they really want the data being used for instruction, and so they have given us some some um, some of their platforms just to try out to see if we like them. Um, we've been using Myon this year. Um, we had something called CBMs, which are basically short little snippets. It's like a short one or two minute assessment where teachers can quickly look at how a kid is doing on a, a certain skill set. Um, we had that for our, our K through two population and some of the third grade teachers heard about it and like, hey, we want to try that. Um, Star said, hey, we're just going to let you use it. Um, so they just added it to our whole district to let us try it out and use it. Um, so. It's, that company has really done well for us and we like a lot of the things and so we, we have our, our language arts and our math people taking a look at it and then by the end of the year we'll make a decision on what we're going to keep for next year and, and, and what we're not. Um, so, But I'm excited about some of the opportunities that we have with, with Renaissance. Um, one of the big new things that we're going to do next year and, and the ESSER grant helped us do this was a platform called Elevation uh, and it's a comprehensive EL it's for our EL students. It's a program that's a management platform that um, organizes all that EL data. Um, it supports like meetings when you're having meetings on what to do with staff. But more importantly, it helps prioritize, prioritize tasks for instruction. So it's not only a data, data management system, but it's a way for teachers to use the data in instruction based on the WIDA platform. So we talked about the WIDA access test. So we're actually gonna take that data, plop it in here, and then there are gonna be ways for us to, to to get instruction based on that. So again, we're talking about using our data to make instructional decisions. It's great to have data, but it's more important to be able to use the data. So this platform is something we're very excited about. We're gonna pilot it for two years. That's the the, um, the ESSER money we have. And then if we like it, we'll continue to fund it. Um, we also got a training platform with that. So there'll be instruction not only for our EL staff, but the, it is set up, it's, it's kind of like a virtual training for all of our staff members looking at how to, to differentiate instruction, which is good for all students. It's good for, for EL students, but it's also good for special ed students. So we're really excited about this platform coming on to, to really you know, diversify our population. So um, I, think, I think we're very excited about that one. Uh, the fourth area we looked at was staff training on using data results and reports. So, this always happens, you know, you get all these new platforms and the teachers are excited about it, but then you don't have time to do the training, so they just kind of figure it out themselves and muddle along. We kind of realize that's not a good model. So we are working on ways to, needless to say, we're doing the big trainings, that, you know, the staff development, but we're also trying to set up other unique platforms, some virtual training. Um, we've set up a Schoology site where um, staff can go and learn about certain data, um, how you can use data for instruction, and we're going to make that more robust starting next year. Um, Steve Knight's been working heavily on that, um, and we're really excited about that. So we, maybe if we bring a new, new teacher in mid-year, they can go on this site and kind of see what, 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 how they can get up to speed quickly and have that training access. So again, trying to get them to know how to use the data. Um, this one here is, is one that, that started out of necessity, because I really didn't know when I started back in August what we had. And so we just started compiling this list and it became a monster list. <laughs> and so we've slowly decided that we need to review all of the, all of the information that we were all the software packages that we have in the district just to figure out what we have. Um, and then after we explored that, 
we started seeing what was still relevant because some of the, the software was outdated. Some of the companies have gone bankrupt, frankly. So we took them off our list and then we're also exploring new technology and software packages. So Elevate was one of those that we discovered as we were doing research and we've added them to our repertoire. Um, the key here though is developing ways to help staff know, understand, and select software packages. So we're going to create a kind of a site where they can go to and say, I need something for math. They'll go in there, they can do research, they can look at the different platforms that we already have um, in the district. Um, and then, so we think it's going to be more seamless and then we're going to set up training to parallel that. Um, so we're, we're pretty excited about that. And then finally, um, we want to review which assessment software platform scores uh, of all of the software we have, what we can actually put into into PowerSchool and Performance Matters, so teachers can then um, use that data again. So it's if we're you know using Read Naturally, which is one of our reading platforms, if we can put that into PowerSchool and teachers have quick access to it, uh, along with a bunch of other platforms, then again it's using the data for instruction. So um, that's kind of some of the investigation we're trying to do at this point. It's a process. Okay. The next one, I think as parents, since I know you all are parents of students, are gonna really appreciate this one. Um, we wanna make things easier for families. So we are taking, we've taken a big look, a big dive into enrollment and how we can make enrollment easier for parents. So we've spent a fair amount of time looking at that process. Um, there's some things that we're gonna automate. It's gonna take a couple years to get there. Um, but ideally in a couple years, a parent who has students already in the system will go in and instead of having to fill out all those forms all over you guys, unless you guys really like filling those forms out, all you do is you confirm it. So you confirm the information and then there's certain documents like a medical, obviously we would need to see a new medical every year. But we're trying to streamline that process so it's not so frustrating where parents have to continually fill out the, pro the forms every year. Um, so uh, Trish has been working really hard with Leah on uh, streamlining those forms. We, we've revamped a lot of those forms. I mean, I would say all of them pretty much. Um, taking a look at those. Um, we're trying to make them so those forms seamlessly go into um, PowerSchool so that our nursing staff, our teachers have that, that data at their fingertips and we know it's accurate. Um, so we're, we're pretty excited about this one and our new enrollment process. Uh, it'll be a little different this year, but again, two years down the road, it's going to, I think, really hit home the parents. This is a really good thing. Um, so that the enrollment will be coming soon. More information will be coming out um, about when that process will start. But I think it's going to be a much easier process, and we feel it's going to be, be good for families and, and staff alike. Um, with that, with enrollment, we did need to create parent portal for all parents. So before, really, we only created them for fifth grade and up. Um, with the new enrollment, we, we are starting to create them now so that when we do the new enrollment process next year, it will be all set in place. Um, so that process is going to happen. And again, more information is coming, um, but we feel like it's important to set that up. It also will, we don't even know the flexibility that we're going to have with, with Parent Portal yet, but I think we will have some flexibility on doing some other things there, like maybe sending out announcements or things like that. We just don't know. Um, so we're, we're trying to get that K through four in place this year so that it'll just streamline a lot of processes that we have. And then finally, we're looking at streamlining sign-in for um, Clever, Schoology, Google, PowerSchool, and the likes. 
um, so that we have as much integration as possible. So when a kid's signing in, he doesn't have to put his password in like eight times. Um, so we're, we're hoping to stream like that to make it much easier for not only students but staff. So again, these are all kind of exciting things. Um, behind the scene things that may not be exciting to the general public, but when they work, we're, we're gonna feel good that, that they're, gonna, they're gonna like the streamlined process and, and it'll be much easier for people to access the, the technology that we have. Thank you, <clears throat> Dr. Weilerman. So with that, that concludes our presentation. Um, but we would like to end with a celebration. We learned uh, late last week, we, we got a phone call that um, MHS was ranked two in the Commonwealth of Virginia and 171 nationally out of 22,000 uh, 22, high schools on the challenge index. This, we're letting the cat out of the bag a little bit early. Um, so this will be, uh, this will be uh, made public uh, uh, tomorrow, but the challenge index, what, what the challenge index does, and, and it comes out every year, it, it's, it's published. It looks at the um, total number of IBAP or Cambridge exams that a, that a high school gives, uh, and it, it's divided by the total number of graduates. And, and the reason why they do that, because that really speaks to um, the number of students, sort of percentages of students that you have that are engaging in your um, most rigorous programming and curriculum that's offered at the high school level. And so the fact that we are we rank so high on, on that challenge index, I think is, is something that's uh, worth celebrating. And so we wanted uh, to share that tonight. We also just kind of wanted to bring full circle when we talk about the support of the board and the governance of the board the uh, work that we do as a community um, with our school staff, but also with our um, parents and, and our students to do things like build a strategic, a five-year strategic plan and, and continu continue to keep students at the center and focus on um, supporting the needs, needs of our students holistically so they're well-rounded. We can't achieve that with without everyone working together collectively to, to support our, our students. And it also speaks to the great work that's happening at our elementary schools and, and our, our middle schools, as well as uh, JTP. Because as students are, are coming in there, from day one they're being challenged, but they're also being supported. And so this is an accolade um, that we all, we all um, should celebrate together. So we wanted to put that for our final slide. So there, there are a number of takeaways in the presentation I hope that you heard tonight. Um, but I want to take you back to about three months ago when Dr. Weiland made a presentation to all of you about um, data collection. And it was a rather avant-garde uh, presentation because it moved away substantively, I think, from what we might consider sort of traditional data points that we were going to collect to show the achievement of students in the City of Falls Church Schools. And uh, he did that with my full support. And we got a lot of good feedback from the board about that presentation. Um, and so tonight, uh, my hope is that you, you saw your voice in the presentation saying, we need both. It's a both and. It's both the SOLs, AP, you know, all of those different IB, all of those different exam pieces, but also at the same time looking at other metrics and measures that indicate sort of the whole child. So 
Um, we're looking forward to, I'm looking forward to seeing sort of that broader data presentation um, in the early fall that will give you all of those pieces of information so you really get at a glance um, how we're doing as a school system. And uh, hopefully tonight that began to outline what that presentation will, will look like. So I know that um, Dr. Weilerman and, and Mr. Bates would be happy to answer any questions. And if you don't have any uh, and would prefer to write them to us, that's fine too, whatever your preference. Thank you so much for that great presentation. It was definitely ended on a high note with that wonderful uh, news of our ranking. So thank you, Mr. Bates and Dr. Wallerman. Does Yes, Ms. Silverman. Um, I just wanted to thank you um, as a parent of a kindergartner and a third grader, um, especially the kindergartner, when it comes to the login for Clever Schoology Google Empower School, I'm going to be honest with you. On the last ATL day, I didn't even try for my kindergartner. My third grader was able to log in herself. I did not even try for my kindergartner. And I know many parents did not even try, or I got a lot of upset uh, texts and emails from parents who did attempt to log in and just couldn't for some reason. And, and you know, even with very detailed instruction from the teachers of how to log in, they still just, it wasn't possible to log in. So I think that that streamlining um, for, you know, people who feel they have 100 passwords in their head um, would be helpful. Um, also, you know, off note and, and really focusing on that mental health piece, I don't know if, if you saw NBC News reported yesterday that Virginia is one of 14 states with an increase in adolescent suicides. So um, awful news. Um, I'm happy that, you know, Falls Church City is really trying to take a deep dive into that mental health issue and staying on top of it, providing the support that our, our students need because I, I would love to not be on that list next year. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Silverman. Any other questions? Yes, Vice Chair Gould. Yeah, I appreciate that presentation um, and looking forward to the presentation in the fall. Um, I, I think as, as you all know, we've got a data savvy community. Um, and, and we uh, we all appreciate the digestion of data. Um, I have a, a few suggestions, and then I'll uh, and then some questions as well. Um, uh, one of the things that I think would be helpful for us as you get you prepare for the fall um, is m ensuring that we have a longitudinal look, um, not just a snapshot look or a cross-sectional look on our data. I think the 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 comparisons of Falls Church City to some of our neighboring districts are tough, given our size, given our um, our demographics. So sometimes, uh, not sometimes, in, in some of the data points you mentioned, longitudinal is a much, uh, probably a better story. And that's what I, I really appreciated what you both presented tonight was you're trying to provide, uh, you know, you've got a significant amount of data sets um, and you're trying to help educate all of us. Um, and so that longitudinal look will help. Um, I think the other, and I, I mentioned this, is, is I, would, I would be cautious of comparing us to some of our surrounding districts for the reasons we mentioned. Um, and I think sometimes I've seen that in different presentations, not just in this district, others, but I think having comparisons to similar districts, and I know there are some in the state, um, is, is helpful. But overall, I think it's the longitudinal is a great uh, substitute for trying to compare us to our large neighbors. And then I think the, the third suggestion I have is, um, you know, we, we appreciate our accolades. We like our achievements, especially in Falls Church City. I think the I think we're also uh, we should also be 
um, amenable to presenting data about where we need to go, not just the accolades, not just the the, the highlights. Um, and I think sometimes in in data presentations um, that that does get missed. We want to we want to highlight the 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 good picture, but I think uh, showing you know shining that spotlight on where we can improve, what are what are we falling down on, where we need to you know that continuous improvement, which is obviously part of our IB. Um, uh, principles that would be incredibly helpful for this board and for this community. Um, so those are my three suggestions. I've got some questions as well, but I realize I could go all night. I'm getting side glances from some of my board members, so I'm going to pause here because this is this is enjoyable. So yes. yeah. is that side glance from Dr. Dimick? Is that could I, could I no? Could I tack tack one thing on to what you were saying? I guess I have been frustrated about seeing us compared to our neighboring districts that are that are much more heterogeneous than we are, that have much larger populations than we are. And I'm wondering if we are small, we have small schools, can, could we compare our schools to other schools on the SOL? Um, you know, schools that are maybe a sort of similar uh, school district or like similar sort of neighborhood school to a Falls Church school. So similar levels of free and reduced lunch. Um, I know that the curriculums in the schools are, are a little bit different. We're an IB school system and other school systems are not IB school systems. But if we are going to compare our SOL data to say Arlington SOL data, maybe it makes much more sense to find a middle school in Arlington that is similar to our middle school and, um, or a couple of those if, if we want to compare ourselves to the outside. And I, just to chime in, I think that's a really interesting question for us to wrestle with, is that do we even want to compare ourselves to other school divisions? Because I'm not sure that gives us all that much value, as much as longer data, longitudinal data does looking at, because what we're looking at is sort of bigger data sets that are much more about our own continuous improvement um, as opposed to doing those comparisons, which just sort of tend to... Um, share who's doing better than the other in many ways yeah I, I agree I think that's right is comparing us to ourselves is, is because I remember we I think shortly after we were done with distance learning we were looking at SOLs and it's sort of we were looking at it nationally and it doesn't really it's a sort of apples to oranges so I think that's a good point uh, any other comments oh uh, Dr. Ortiz, and then we'll go to, yeah, go to our... I have a request uh, for, for Dr. Weilman and Mr. Bates. Um, essentially, the following is to get us ready for, you know, looking at and working through your, um, your analysis and the data that you collect. Um, if you could provide um, either an example of how um, a similar kind of broad-scale program has been implemented, you know, and maybe even your critique of such a program, or perhaps... Um, a summary of articles that give an overview of how it all kind of fits together so that it you know because this is a pretty high level look which is good I think it's helpful to start there especially given the range of things that we're going to be looking at but I think it'd be, it would just be helpful if you, if you could you know help provide us and some resources and maybe I mean I'd be happy to post those kind of on the website too just so that we can all as a community get ready to to to, to be on the same page when we have, when we're in a position to dive in Thank you, we Dr. might need to follow up on that just to make sure we completely understand what what you're asking for. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, I think someone, Mr. Reidinger, did you have any questions or comments? I, I do, but I'm happy to wait till after Dr. Gold. He's already 
covered a couple of things that I wanted to flag, so um, I, I'm just assuming to uh, wait till he's done, and then I'll then I'll make my comments. Okay. Go ahead. All right. Well, actually, on my, on my next part, I was actually going to uh, channel my best Mr. Reitinger uh, impression, uh, who usually sits next to me. Um, I, I, w I do want to say that when it comes to data, um, you know, it, it it's it's easy to collect um, and it's fun to clean it. Um, it's definitely it's hard to distribute it and it's hardest to actually change practice from it. And I think those four levels of working with data is something that we have to respect. And I think if as we have a significant amount of data collection sets that we're using, um, I think it would also be valuable not just to focus on that pro that process of collecting and cleaning and analyzing, but the that backwards mapping of how are our teachers, how are our paras, how are our staff, how are administrators using that data. Um, you know, those are, and uh, what I see in, in districts that do this well, they call those folks customers. Um, they don't call them teachers and administrators. And, you know, if you've got, and, and if you think of them as customers and how you present that data to them and you're using that and, and parents, uh, that, that's, a, that's a, a good way to start and a good way to frame it. Um, and, and, I, and the last part, and I'll, I'll, I'll cede control and, and resort to email, um, is the, the, the non-academic data points. I think there was a slide that you had toward the end. Um, in the non-academic, there was a, a significant amount of focus on achievement and honors. Um, and I would just encourage that we also diversify those. And I'm sure we do have these data collection sets, but around environment, uh, culture, discipline. I know discipline is obviously... Um, covered in some of the other data sets, um, uh, social, emotional, just thinking about those data sets, not just the honors and the accolades. Again, just kind of making sure we focus on how we need to improve, not just what we do well. So, but other than that, I'm looking forward to the fall. I appreciate all the help uh, and, and the leadership you all have. This is great focus for the district and uh, look forward to diving in again. Thank you, Vice Chair Gould. Uh, Mr. Reininger. Not only limiting in the data that limiting the data that we look at, but um, as you go forward with developing what the metrics are, trying to create some sense of integration and drawing conclusions, you know, not necessarily a scorecard, but something that gets us to a scorecard, a way of, or towards a scorecard, a way of presenting data that gives us a much more uh, holistic view of how these indicators map across the school system would be super helpful. Um, I'll be far less helpful um, in that endeavor than, say, um, Dr. Demek or Dr. Gould um, will with their in, with their understanding of educational data and my non-understanding of it. But I think I, I think if we can if we can spend some time on presentation and working on what's important and how to integrate it and show it, that'll be um, particularly valuable. Dr. Gould also talked about a longitudinal look. Um, I'd also suggest that along with that, which I agree with completely, I'd want to see you know, some sense of baseline and goals for the things that we do look at. What I mean by that is you know, uh, a sea of data presentation can just look like a lot of things, and here's where we are, and here's how we fit on all of them. Um, when I think we're really, if we're going to track what we're doing, we need to say, you know, what, did we, what did this look like, not only longitudinally, but historically? Uh, and what are our goals? What did we, what did we want to achieve, and, and did we achieve that? Um, and I also, um, this is, you know, once again, I'm repeating something Dr. Gould said. I think celebrations, like listed among 
the non-academic goals are valuable, but it's really important to not have metrics presentations be um, collections of merit badges, right? Because we're always going to have lots of merit badges um, that people can show. So, you know, I, I really want to focus on you know, we have celebrations listed, but when we go into the data, let's focus on ones where we've got targets. Like we want one quarter of our teachers to have taken so many hours of professional development that we can report on and see how we're actually doing uh, and steer towards that. Um, so that's all just, you know, steers on where you're going. I think it's great. Um, I did want to raise one other um, particular point, which is it would be really helpful to me, and I don't know if this aligns with best practice or not, to make sure that the data is presented not by source, but by topic. In other words, I get frustrated, not just in school presentations, but in any presentation when I say, here's a source, here's how we did on SOLs. Here's something else, employee feedback, here's how we did. To the extent that we can integrate across and unite different metrics around particular topics, so we can get a more comprehensive look, I think um, that's super helpful. And some of these, as the presentation points out, are gonna be very difficult. You know, the fourth area you mentioned of the strategic plan was, um, community and connection, and, and trying to come up with measurements there is going to be, I think, a challenge. Um, but it looks like we've got a great start. Um, I wanted to say two final things, which are both, I think, added boys. Um, one is uh, congratulations to the entire FCCPS team on the challenge index result. Um, as I think um, uh, Mr. Bates indicated in his presentation, that's really, the, the fact that we're, we have people that in high school that are achieving that level of engagement and meeting that those type of challenges is really a, a, a result of the success across the entire school system, professional staff, uh, support staff, and administrators. And you know, bus drivers, teachers, administrators at all level, it all comes together with a result like that. And so I, I, I don't want to let that moment pass without saying that's very impressive. Uh, and so, um, for those among the staff who drink adult beverages, you should have a happy hour and, and at least quaff one adult beverage. Um, the other uh, other out of way I wanted to point out is, you know, it was just sort of lightly touched on at the end of the presentation, but some of the IT-related challenges that uh, y'all are attempting to take on, like single sign-on, integration of resources and data, um, moving away from an intake form-driven approach to a data-centric approach, um, turn out, as I think the presentation indicated, to be really, really hard to do. Um, and I just want to also emphasize for my fellow board members, those things are really, really hard to do. Something that major companies struggle, struggle um, sometimes for decades to do right. And so uh, it's worth the outcome. You know, I've, I've been involved in some of those things in the course of my career, and congratulations on seeing uh, the big challenges behind the small challenges and working to take them on. So that's really all I had to say. Thanks. Thank you very much, Mr. Reidinger. Ms. Tice. Hi, yes, I just had a quick comment. Um, I know that those of you who are, are offering this great presentation and uh, all this great information, I know you're educators, so I, I don't have to, to tell you what you already know, but I just wanted to put out there for the record that when, when the state is putting out um, more of these, you know, obligatory um, testing, 
tests that we have to do, it just it, a little bit makes me cringe because I just know how time intensive that is for teachers and how much time that takes away from everything, all the other wonderful things that are happening in our schools. So I just wanted to to just make a comment that I hope that that we can be mindful of that. And if there are ways, if we're if that growth assessment, growth assessment, for example, if it's really three times a year, is there any of that data that might you know, be helpful in lieu of some other assessments that we might be doing. Um, data is great, and I and I trust that it's going to be used well. But you know, we could be mired in data and be, in, I think, um, like Mr. Rainer said, like kind of in a sea of data. So I just I do kind of worry about adding more and more. And I know we don't have an option on some of those, but I just wanted to to say that that I I want to recognize how time intensive that is for the the teachers and staff and takes away from the the students engaging activities. Thank, thank you, Ms. Tysa. I'll just jump in on that from same topic, but the parent perspective. I, it's interesting because I remember, you know, years ago, I think before you were here, we uh, there was sort of a parent uproar with SOL tests, and you know, these are all sta state mandated tests, and then I feel like they cut, some, they reduced some, and now it seems like we're going back again. So I think on on definitely the parent side too, to Ms. Tysa's point, I think there's you know. A little bit of apprehension there with with more standardized tests coming back um, just a couple quick things I'm nowhere near as um, this is not my area of ex expertise that we have experts on the board thank goodness but um, just a couple quick things um, when you were talking about the IB diploma is that the number of candidates like will we be able to see I know this year was a was a stellar year I know this might be mr. Coast's thing but um, it'd be interesting sort of to look from year to year this was a huge bang up year I know um, so just to try to track how many we have in that diploma we, we program do, we do try to track that every year and okay. uh, we can show you some past the past three years or yeah, that, five years that would be great um, one question I had was with the with the WIDA is for our English language learners is that right that is so WIDA access for L's and students get a score of one to six one to four means that they're receiving ESOL services a five or a six means that they've exited services okay that's what I was wondering is if that's how they we determine who exits out yes okay and so I don't know that might be something interesting too is just sort of a little bit more information because I and I know Dr. Ortiz is on the ESOL committee now and I know that's something that we're always looking at is exiting out, but it might be kind of interesting to see how our exit rates are doing, you know, over the couple I, of years. I think it's not a bad thing to look at, but it's also something to be cautious about. Okay. Um, only because we don't know when kids arrive. Right. We don't how know much where. how much education they've received in I their home language right. or how much education in their home right. country. Right. Right. Yeah. So more looking so at they, the student. So they come to us very. Right. So very and so better to look at the student how they're yeah. progressing. That makes sense. Yes. Were you going to say the same thing? I was going to very similar <laughs> thing. So I think we also need to look at the first couple of years after being exited to make sure that the skill sets are holding. Um, and so that's something we've oh, already started tracking. That's that's great. That's really good to know. That makes perfect sense. Um, and then it, just a couple. One other thing, um, I think, you know, when we have this presentation, and, and again, thank you so much for this sort of um, sampling of what we're, what we're going to be having um, before us in the fall, but um, just, you know, a lot of these things, I think if, if um, you know, the public's watching, like, for example, um, some parents may not even realize that SOLs aren't given at Mount Daniel. That's what, you know, PALS is at Mount Daniel. So maybe just sometimes just clarifying that, you know, PALS, parentheses, putting Mount Daniel. You know, I mean, it's things that we know, but if someone was just to watch it, 
I mean, and then also like just the acronyms spelling those out, you know, because like I didn't know, and I, I still what what was VKRR? What was that? It's Virginia Kindergarten Readiness. Okay, so just those, you know, maybe because as the public watches these, they they might. And we always don't know the acronyms either. Clearly. If I could just throw out, we have built a website now for a parent. We we built a parent page, so um, maybe we can link that when we come back in the fall. We can link it to the minutes of the meeting. Um, which we kind of give a basic layout of each assessment and then um, it, it's not we're, we're slowly all this stuff takes time right, of it's course. just slowly building it out but every single one talks about the test what it is what it's for um, how do you prepare for it what the score reports look like it and what can you do with the data at home that kind of thing mm -hmm. um, and so we built we started building that on the website so it's on um, John you might know better than I have. I think it's called basics of assessment and it links off the uh, CIA uh, Page. Okay. So I, I do throw that out as, as a, a tool for parents to use. Okay. And that might be something in a, not that our morning announcements are ever, <laughs> they're always jam-packed, but it might be an interesting spotlight at some point. Thank you. Uh, yes, Ms. Silverman? Um, one question, um, commenting off of Ms. Tice and Chair Zounds, with the extra testing, and not, I don't expect you to have the answer tonight by any means, but is there a way that we can review any non-state mandated state mandated testing to see now are we duplicative in any of the areas is there overlap in some of the testing maybe the answer is no but maybe the answer is yes where there can be some elimination of non-mandated testing um we, again i don't expect you to have the answer tonight it's just a thought that we've I had, had a lot of conversation about this yeah. i'm sure this it's is the, not the first time it's crossed your mind but as so a parent i did so want to bring it up is, do we do, continue to do the star assessment for example now that we're getting form it's not really formative assessment. We're getting some data from the state um, at two different intervals before the final SOL. And the STAR is great because it gives us good information um, and actually a roadmap in some some ways um, towards student success. But there may be some, some crosswalking that we can look at. So thanks. Yes, Dr. Dimmick. Um, I just, I have a couple more questions. And I know that I've brought this up before. So instruction is in the title there. Do we, but, but we are talking about measuring, you know, s student data. Um, do we do do we do anything to sort of look at our teachers? I'm thinking of like, is Bloom's? I use keep using Bloom's taxonomy because when I did a fair amount of continuing ed during the pandemic, Bloom's taxonomy was a was a focus of it. Like to know that that's all, you know that. We're not just doing the first steps on the pyramid. We're going all the way to the top all the time in our classrooms. So one question is, like, do do we do we measure that? Um, and then the other question, um, it's great that we did so well in that challenge index. The timing is good since I was asked the other night. Well, I looked at niche.com and falls. The, our high school is ranked now 18th in Virginia, and it's why have we fallen so much? And what's going on with our achievement? So my other my question is like, when one has a conversation with a community member about this, how do you talk about these different rankings and how Falls Church does? I, you know, lots of people move here for our great school system, um, and one sees Niche.com a lot more perhaps than the Challenge Index. But what do, what do we say to folks? So so Niche first of all, Niche.com has us as the number one division in the state. So may, maybe that's where uh, Meridian is currently, but overall as a system, we're, we're the number one school division on niche. And that, that is looked at by realtors and, and a lot of people. Um, the challenge index perhaps is a little bit more 
meaningful to me anyway because it really speaks to the rigor of the coursework that we're providing to students. So, so there's that. To, to your first question though, um, I, I, I would say our primary focus is certainly student outcomes, um, as it should be, right? And, and so one of the things that we do, and, and I'm not sure we use Blooms as much as we use the depth of knowledge scales, the DOK, um, is when we're, when we're developing curriculum, and many of our teachers are developing curriculum throughout the summer, they're using the approaches to learning and the approaches to teaching that are associated with the IB program. And as a part of that, the, the, the process and the evaluative tools in there really get to multiple levels and layers of learning. And that's the piece that's um, a little bit more complex because, and I don't want to get into this conversation tonight if we don't have to, but that really gets into what standards-based grading and learning is about because the criterion A, B, C, and D are really about the depth of knowledge scales and how we're going deeper into content. Um, so if you were to crosswalk, for example, any of our uh, courses uh, in any of our schools and, and unpack the standards, we're doing far more than what the state asks us to do. So the state asks us to do, um, so it's sort of in three levels. There's the um, you know, there's the basic SOL, um, there's the expected, and then there's sort of the extended. And if you were to look at our curriculum across the division, the way we're teaching it, we're teaching it through the extended lens. And that's because of the way that we use the approaches to teaching and approaches to learning. So it does get kids to that DOK 3, DOK 4 level, or in blooms to five, level 5, 6, 7, getting into synthesis evaluation um, and the like. So. Um, if that isn't happening, that is part of the teacher evaluation process. And I know that we've talked about this before. Um, you know, one of the things that we look for anytime we walk into classes is what kinds of questions are being asked by teachers? How are, how are we, I want to go talk to kids and ask them, you know, what, what are you learning today? And, and tell me more about that and tell me why it's important and tell me how it connects to things outside of the classroom. Um, and so hopefully some of that information is, is useful in the process. Um, and one last thing I'll say about that is, is in our uh, survey that we've recently done with our students, one of the questions that we asked is, do you see a connection between what you're learning in class with, or do your, I forget exactly how it's written, I think it's maybe do your teachers make explicit how this content or curriculum um, connects to the outside world? And so that data point, um, will be really useful to us too because I want students to be able to translate their knowledge from the classroom into what we all do, translate their, their knowledge from classroom into life. So I do think on the whole, we're doing really well with getting into the, the higher levels, the higher order thinking skills, you know, three, above three in blooms, so four, five, and six, and seven, and we're definitely above two in DOK, so we're three and three and four. Thank you very much. Any other questions or comments? Well, Dr. Weilman, I just want to say as someone, and, and I think Mr. Reidinger said it best, I can't, I can't replicate what he said, but I have been through a number of these data presentations, and I just want to thank you. Um, it's clear since you've arrived here, you've really dug in deep, and you've put a lot of uh, time and energy into really improving things both um, in terms of our technology and really listening to the school board. I know that um, some of these things I've heard the school board ask for time and time again, and, and we really, speaking for, for Phil and everyone, that we feel like you're really listening and you're understanding what we're looking for. And just want to compliment you both on this presentation. It was really, really 
thorough and engaging and uh, just again appreciate all that you're doing and just things like the website to try to help parents understand what these assessments are about just making it things more user-friendly for people that are not as um, involved as the school board is and so we just want to thank you very much and um, made a big difference in the short time you've been here so thank you okay we'll be moving on now to uh, next topic another one that mr. mr. Reidinger's favorite this is the school calendar process and we're just gonna something no I'm, I'm sharing on zoom so is there a way to oh, okay. flip over to that or can we put zoom up on the screen all right well as as uh, John's working on that let me let me um, say that this evening my goal is to just engage you in a conversation it's not necessarily to um, it's, it's to give us input but really this conversation is for for the board not for the staff um, several times um, in the last couple of years there have been some conversations about the school calendar and I want to give you just a little bit of a historical context for this because I think it's important um, to sort of know uh, where what what's going on but um, up until the state legislature made the decision to allow schools to start school at, uh, before Labor Day um, the school calendar was perhaps the most perfunctory thing that we did each year it was a committee of people that would come together they would come up with some options those would go out to the school board or to the staff the staff would vote on one we would bring that to the school board the school board would vote on the one that the schools selected because it was by the teachers and staff and we move forward fast forward to um, 2019 and the state legislature made the change that we'd all been pushing for as schools it was on everybody's legislative agenda for many many years and that was to allow schools to get rid of the Labor Day bill um, or get let get rid of the Labor Day law which allowed schools to open pr prior to Labor Day so in an effort to try to com get community engagement and to try to hear from people about whether or not we wanted to move it to before Labor Day the start of school um, we went through a huge calendar process that year we held multiple community meetings people showed up at um, the old George Mason High School um, we, we had presentations um, we had feedback forums and, and everything else and then we got a committee of people together uh, based on the feedback that we had received from um, folks in the committee uh, the community uh, gave that to the committee the committee put together multiple options those options went out to staff staff voted on them um, there were two that were sort of very close and ultimately the, the calendar that was selected was the calendar that started two weeks prior to Labor Day well that created um, a lot of consternation because not everybody wants to start two weeks before Labor Day and so the school board got some blowback about that um, and then the following year a decision was to ma made to start a year before Labor Day and then this and then this year um, the school board also um, opted for a week before Labor Day as well um, but the process became much more complex um, prior to the Labor Day challenge um, and so because it's become really complex and because we have um, a very pluralistic community 
Um, and the other thing that became complex was we were seeing more and more students because of our pluralistic community from religious perspective taking more days off for religious observances. We started to add in other days, uh, for example, Eid, um, and also, you know, we still had um, Easter and we still have Christmas and we still have, you know, those, those started to work there, Diwali um, started to work in there. And, um, and now we've got a calendar that, that seems to work okay, but there's still some questions about whether or not um, the calendar meets the needs of everybody. And let me just say this, we're never gonna come to an agreement on a calendar that meets this, the needs of everyone. <laughs> but um, what I committed to last year, um, post, um, sorry, I don't know what's going on there, but post, um, last calendar adoption was as soon as the new board comes in let's take a look at the calendar process and see if there are some things that we need to change to make sure that the calendar process works because ultimately there are a few things that are absolutely within the school board's purview one is the budget another is the calendar another is the superintendent um, but i would never want to like um, interfere with with the inner workings of the board. And so what we've tried to do is to try to um, meet the spirit and, and the challenge of getting input from um, the staff, because it's always been a staff calendar, first of all, first and foremost, because it's the staff that are working that calendar. Um, and, and, that, and it hasn't been a community calendar, but again, that's another thing that sort of morphed in the last couple of years. Um, this last year, we were asked to put um, uh, school board committee members on, on, the, um, on the calendar committee. So the calendar committee's gotten really big also. And so we're here tonight, I'm sorry I'm a little bit distracted, um, but we're, we're here tonight really to get your input on um, what you think are the most important components for us to consider in the calendar. Is there a different process that perhaps we should use for the calendar that you'd like to give us some feedback on because obviously you can give us feedback, but it probably is not great to dictate to us, you know, exactly how to do the work. Um, and we want to, and we want to make sure that we do, um, that we produce for you something that uh, you feel good about. And so ultimately, some of the decision making that we, I think, would want you to um, have us think about are just some of these things. For example alignment with surrounding school divisions. I don't know if that's important to you all or not. I do know that it's really important to our teachers because a lot of our teachers don't live in the city of Falls Church. So for example, if we're misaligned with Fairfax County or Arlington, it does create a problem. At the same time, we have no control over what calendar Fairfax County or Arlington puts out. And we saw that this year. Fairfax County decoupled spring break from the Easter holiday. Um, they have since put it back with the Easter holiday. They did that one time. I think they got extraordinary blowback from the community about it and now have recoupled it. Um, but alignment to surrounding jurisdictions has been something that's been sort of important to the school board. Um, preferences for starting and ending dates. Um, one of the things with the, the change in the pre-Labor Day start is that each year we sort of wrestle, do we want to start a week before, two weeks before, or on Labor Day? Or, or after Labor Day. And this last go around, it became very evident that the vast majority of people in our community would like to start pre-Labor Day, at least from the committee's perspective, but two weeks is probably too much. Maybe, maybe what the school board wants to do is say to us, 
we want you to develop a calendar that starts one week before Labor Day on a Monday. Um, and, and if that's the, the sort of working thing that you want us to work from, we can certainly do that. Um, thinking about holidays and breaks, one of the things that we've heard very clearly from our staff is they'd like a two-week winter break. Um, they want a, a week at spring break, um, but you all may say, you know what, we don't want to give a two-week winter break. We want to give a 10-day winter break, and we want to, you know, end school earlier. But there's, I mean, there's a lot of variation in this. Um, and the next is, do you want to consider a calendar for one year? or two years, because if, or three years, because if you give us some very clear parameters about how to develop the calendar, we can certainly try to develop that calendar for the next three years, um, with the exception of Eid. <laughs> Eid floats each year and it sort of comes at a different time if Eid becomes a day that is, ends up being on um, the off list. So, so that's another question. And then um, the last is the time frame for the calendar adoption. We've always adopted the calendar in the December meeting. And the reason that we do it in the December meeting is so that families have that six months to plan their summer. Um, if, if, for example, the school board decided we want to do a multiple year calendar and we know what the working parameters are, the truth of it is, is we could develop a calendar almost at any time. Um, we just need to know what you want us to put in it. So I know that that's a lot of information. Um, I know I'm asking a lot of you for tonight, and, and I'm not expecting any of you to have all of the answers tonight, especially our four new members, because this is like the first time you've heard me talk about the calendar. Um, so, so I do want you to know that my hope tonight is that you all can kind of talk with each other, um, think about what you might want to consider going into the calendar, and then what I'd like to do is I'd like to revisit this um, at a coming work session just to hear from you, okay, what what'd you come up with or what are you thinking? And that way we can develop some criteria by which we develop a calendar on. Does that make sense? Questions about that before I turn it over to the board chair to have a conversation. And I know um, there are two people in particular that have been um, not outspoken, I would say, just have some opinions about this. Um, and I know Mr. Reitinger is one of them and Dr. Dimmick is another. And, and perhaps that might be a good place to start, but I will turn it over to the chair um, at this point to, to sort of help guide this conversation just a little bit. Well, thank you, Dr. Noonan. That was a great context, I think, for everyone. And um, I know that the new, new uh, school board members, even though I think you were privy to those, and I remember Dr. Dimmick and I were just as we were right when before we were came in and that was the very contentious year when when we decided to start two weeks early so anyway I know that you all witnessed some of that in December uh, so you're you're somewhat a, a, uh, aware of the process so um, I will turn it over mr. Reinger would you like to kick us off sure I'd be happy to do we want to take the slide down so that it'd be more helpful me to maybe perhaps see people but it, up, up to you on whether you want to leave it up or not. it's it's actually down so um okay. i will uh, on on the screen here but i will stop sharing so that you can see everybody sorry okay. about that. I, I just couldn't see people so um first uh thank you dr noonan for your presentation um i will suggest for your opening comments um that i i think you know uh where you stand always depends a little bit on where you sit and Without going into details, there are things that you said that I agree with strongly and things that I actually disagree with strongly. And I have a very different view on, but I don't think it's helpful. 
um, to go through those right now. Um, I'd rather talk about what I see as the challenges in the process going forward. Um, certainly the impetus for a lot of this was the opening up of the start date because there was such a difference um, among community members on when to start. Uh, but I also think that a number of additional things came in, in particular as um, other school districts, particularly Fairfax County, but also Arlington started to float what they were doing it, and not agree with each other. It became much harder to, to follow either one of them. Uh, and the, you know, the, the, the level of predictability and the political, the level of predictability of the calendar declined a lot. And it became a much more political process. Um, and I think because the calendar always was very much a staff calendar um, instead of a community calendar. And without criticizing the staff at all, I, I think it does need to be a community calendar, not a staff calendar, because you know, it affects what happens to everyone in the community. Um, my, my suggestion is that we don't have calendar committees anymore. Um, and that's not to criticize the calendar committee. I think for predictability, we should have essentially a calendar policy which states the rules that are to be used in designing the calendar. And for the most part, after that, designing the calendar is an administrative exercise. And that that way, you know, there may be you know, some minor questions like, where did the teacher work days go? Um, but for the most part, the, the calendar is predictable. Um, and what I want to get away from is because it's become a political process, you know, we now argue the same political points every year. When I think if we put the rules in a policy, we'll argue them once and we'll be done with it. Um, and we could do a calendar out five, you know, five years out, 10 years out, it really wouldn't matter very much unless the school board wanted to change the policy. Um, I was giving it some thought, um, and I think there are five basic rules. I know you said you, know, someone, you don't want anyone to have all the answers, and I don't claim to have all the answers, but I thought there would be five rules that we probably um, want to adopt. Um, some of them I would, are fairly complex rules. Um, you know, one of them is when we start each year. So, you know, I, I think we've, we've sort of bottomed out on starting one week before Labor Day, but that's a subject for discussion that perhaps we could just resolve. Um, the complicated one is you know, when are the teacher work days and what are the rules on placement? That I do see as, a, as almost entirely um, a, um, a, a staff, an administrative staff exercise, but perhaps you know, we could describe what the rules are and how those get placed. You know, what the holidays are and how many days for each. Um, in particular, how many days are there at Thanksgiving? Do we give Veterans Day off? Do we give, uh, do we include all of the other major religious holidays? And just solve that. Say what we're gonna do, what we're not gonna do, and include that. Um, then um, have the two other things that I think you suggested that there do be two weeks winter break, and I think the placement, you know, to cover um, uh, the holidays will pretty much always dictate where that falls, with minor exceptions perhaps. 
and then we have a one-week spring bank. Um, and we'd have to say what the rule is for placement. Um, and my suggestion is to do what Fairfax County um, did and just say it, it comes at the end of the third quarter, whenever that is, because I think it'd be valuable in, in not tying when spring break is to a religious observance. But the board could decide to do that differently and could have it, you know, the week before Easter. Um, or could decide we'll always do spring break the week that Fairfax County does spring break. But, you know, those those sort of five principles, when do we start, what are our teacher work days, what are our holidays and how long they are, how long is our winter break, and how do we place our one-week spring break ought to make the entire exercise in designing a calendar something that could be almost done by computer program and would take an hour of perhaps somebody's time rather than a multi-work week calendar of lots of staff and a few non-staff to figure out what makes sense under all the circumstances. So I, I don't know if anybody else feels that way, but um, I'll at least offer up a proposal that people can consider and say that's good or not. Thank you, Mr. Reidinger. Yes, Dr. Ortiz. Yeah, um, before you called on Mr. Reidinger, I was actually going to um, reiterate his comments from the December meeting where he raised many of these issues. I think, you know, I recall back when I was in school, of course, that was a long time ago, um, you know, you didn't, almost didn't even need to look at the calendar, right? Because you kind of knew when it was going to happen. And then the only question was how many snow days you had, and that was it. Uh, and you know, not to say that that's a better world, but um, you know, the, you know, given a, a few other considerations, it's not that much more complicated. And I think it makes sense for us to have a, a pretty. And, and if we're going to end up having the same conversation every year anyway, setting it in, in in a policy makes sense. And if after a couple of years it doesn't seem to work, well, then we can change that. But it'll be tweaking more so than actually, you know, all the hard work and and, and grinding of teeth that has been in the last couple of years. So I'd be. You know, without debating particular points that Mr. Reitinger has, um, I'd be completely supportive of such an approach. Thank you, Dr. Ortiz. Yes, Ms. Silverman. Uh, one thing I agree with Mr. Reitinger on is, uh, I think it was him that said this. I, I don't, maybe, maybe it was you, Chair Downs, I don't know. Um, but it's a community calendar, and that includes our teachers and staff, but that also includes the rest of the community. So, um, it's an interesting thought to not have a committee. I'm not sold one way or another on having a committee. I think there's pros and cons to having the committee. Um, you know, I, I guess I'm undecided on, on that point, but um, having and, you know, being able to su submit the guiding principles that we believe in, you know, into a policy is something that I would just want to think about um, because there are many things in this past calendar that I agreed with, um, but there are many things in this past calendar that I disagreed with. And so, you know, working with the rest of the board to see how we can come to an agreement if we didn't have a committee would also be a, an interesting um, challenge for us. So <laughs> we'll see about that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Ms. Silverman. Vice Chair Gould. Yeah, I think uh, I, I would strongly support Mr. Reitinger's uh, suggestion of, it, and I, I like what he said in terms of it's not taking away the, the choice of the community, it's creating a multiple choice for the community. And I think the, and, and how he framed, I think it was um, item number two, where 
the uh, you know the, the 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 multiple choice question number two about teacher workday placement. Still having the staff, the teachers, the administrators, uh, you know, have that choice of where that would be placed. I think that would I think that would greatly streamline the amount of work and effort and level of effort that is being spent on something that, as Dr. Ortiz said, is is pretty is quite predictable. So I would be fully supportive of um, of Mr. Reitinger's uh, proposal and feel like it would help uh, streamline this process significantly. Thank you, Vice Chair Gold. Dr. Dimmick? Um, I'd, be, I'd be game to try it because uh, I think there are, are many areas of discussion in the proposal. Um, I think, yeah, if we got down to it, we might want to work in wiggle room. I mean, we, the, we've sort of settled on one week before Labor Day recently, but then what if Labor Day were to fall on, say, I don't know, September 8th? Um, would we want to go two weeks before Labor Day on a year like that? So, I yeah, I think I think these are good ground rules. Um, if we if we were to keep a a committee, I would really want a much smaller committee. I think that committee got comp totally unwieldy, and it's hard to have conversations when a committee is that big. And I think part of the part of the the idea of having a committee is the committee can discuss and have back and forth and have conversations and have people understand where everyone's coming from. And once you start to get out of the teens, even the low teens, that's hard to do. Thank you, Dr. Dimmick. Yes, Ms. Tice. I just wanted to echo that I, I support the idea too of coming up with a policy. Um, in my role as PTA president, I served on that calendar committee um, the first when we when we first ripped the bandaid off of going before Labor Day, and it was a fascinating uh, process. And I just also wanted to echo Dr. Newton's comments on that. There's obviously no way that we're going to make everybody happy, um, and a lot of times, you know, what's what what families prefer might be in direct contrast to what teachers prefer. So that's just something I think we have to wrestle with. But I think that that's obviously well within um, our purview. And, and and what we're here to do is to try and balance those competing interests and needs. So I I totally welcome the idea of a policy. I think predictability and consistency and sort of stating the values and, and some of you know it's going to be some tough decisions. But I I think it's well worth our time to do once and. Even though it was a great experience being on that committee, I, I don't think it's the most <laughs> uh, effective or time efficient, or even necessarily, um, you, you know, productive productive way to go about it. I, I think that we could we could really hash it out if we if we had this list of, of things that Mr. Reitinger had said, and maybe there's others too. Um, I look forward to that. Any other comments? I guess I would just add that I, I think it is uh, important for, as, as Ms. Silverman mentioned, the, the community to have a look at it. So, you know, I, I think, uh, Mr. Ranger, I, I agree having some, you know, our basic, you know, grounding, these are the, the main pieces that we definitely need to see in a calendar um, to guide us, whether it be a policy or what have you. But I do think that, you know, we do need to give the community a chance um, before that, before it is voted on to take a look at at what's in front of us so I think that is an important piece um, so I would and and you know I, I think I remember Dr. Dimmick and I were always very supportive of a two-year calendar but I think we just have to if we were to go that direction it has to be timed 
the right cycle. For example, we wouldn't want to in December approve a tier calendar and then the four new members have a calendar two years ahead that they had no input on. So, but again, I guess if, if we go with Mr. Ranger's idea, then, you know, it is some, there's not a whole lot of inputs, right? As long as we're following sort of our, our standards there. So uh, I don't know, Dr. Newman, if that gives you something to start with. Um, <clears throat> Mr. Ridinger, I think it has his hand up. I'm oh, not sure. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So th thank you, Chair Downs, and, and thank you to the other members, all of whom made good comments. I'll, I'll just say, Everybody knows you have to rip the Band-Aid off. It's just a question of whether you rip it off once or you rip it off every year. Um, and I'd rather rip it off once and have the community discussion once around what the rules are. For sure, you know, there would be notice and an opportunity to respond um, when any set of calendars was approved. But I think, you know, the, I think the level of um, dispute and concern in the community will uh, go down significantly if there's a set of no rules and everybody operates by the same rules. Uh, and so I, I, I wouldn't want to, if we have a set of principles, I don't think, I actually don't think we should relitigate those principles on a yearly basis to say, do they apply or do they don't? This is our policy. And if we want to change the policy, we should, but it should be for times going forward. If we want to have an exception um, for a particular case, I think that's fine. The school board can authorize exceptions to its policy. But if we're doing that on a yearly basis, if we're re-examining what we want to do on the calendar, then I think we lose the efficiency um, that we've talked about. And it's, you know, it, it's, to be frank, it's not all of that different than what we do in any policy, right? Anytime we set a policy, we create a set of rules that the school system and we are to abide by. Um, and so I think that's a worthwhile exercise and one that would you know, benefit future boards as opposed to buying them because the school board can always change the policy um, if they don't like it in the future. But you know, someone, you know, uh, uh, someone who's got a kid who's going to college in two years could say, well, here's what I wanna plan like visits to schools because I know school's gonna start on this date. And you know, that is something that we substantially had um, before the changeover, and I think we should try to recapture. Thank you, Mr. Reitinger. Anyone else? So do you want me to respond? Sure. Okay. Um, first of all, I think we would welcome the opportunity to help you all um, develop a policy around um, the development of a calendar. The truth, the truth of it is, is that we have to go to school for 180 days. And we take that 180 days and you add in two weeks for the holiday in the winter and you add a weekend for the spring and you look at three days at Thanksgiving and you add in all the days for teacher work days and you wanna start a week before Labor Day and you wanna end, for example, by June 15th. There's not all that many options <laughs> to the way the calendar is gonna go. So I, I totally um, get that um, it's important to get feedback. I also just want you all to know that, I mean, we probably could come up with six permutations of that idea, and that would be about the extent of it. Um, so I, I would welcome the idea of supporting you in the development of a policy. And so one of the things that I might suggest is that um, we continue this conversation 
at the May work session and that between now and May, you have some conversations with your constituents and just ask, you know, what's important to you in terms of the school calendar so that you can get some feedback from them. And then in May, if you bring back some ideas of when you think we should start, you know, looking at, looking at um, Phil's five things, when should we start, um, teacher work days and placements of those, I'm not sure that the community can give you a lot of input on that. That might be relative to where the quarters are, for example, so that teachers have time for grading and the like. But, you know, holidays and how many days off for those, winter breaks, um, when should it happen or not happen, and spring break, it would be great input for, for your constituents to give you. And then in May, we can capture some of that information from you and begin to think about what a policy might look like. And perhaps what we could do at that point is ask, you know, Mr. Reitinger or, uh, or, and or someone else to maybe write a policy, uh, a calendar policy, kind of like Dr. Dimmick did with the um, equity policy that, um, you know, Tricia Minson could help support on and, um, and then think about bringing it for first reading in the fall. Um, because if, if we have it by first reading in the fall, that gives us then sort of our, our or marching orders, if you will, for what the calendar is going to look like um, so that we can adopt it still in that December timeline. And, and I don't know that it's necessarily a bad time to do a two-year calendar. Um, especially given the timing of, of um, elections and everything else. So if you wanted to do that, we could also do that. So does that seem like a reasonable approach? Yeah, I would just say that I think uh, I, it does. Uh, I would just ask that maybe as we, I'm thinking, may work session. I, I'll work it out with you, Dr. Noonan, but maybe we could do a couple quick blurbs and morning announcements just to let the community know that they can email that this is coming up and that they can email us with feedback i just want to make sure that you know i i have often heard oh i didn't know i didn't know so i just want to make yep. sure that we we put it out there so that so that we do our uh, effort to get to get the word out and, and and what we can do from a staff perspective is we can ask some of our school leaders to give us some feedback so you'll hear the teacher and staff perspective and administrative perspective as well because sometimes those aren't in complete alignment with the community. That'd be great. Does that sound good to you, Mr. Reidinger? And Ms. Tice, yep. Okay. All right, I'm volunteering you, Mr. Reidinger, to write the policy. Uh, I'll be happy to, I'll, I'll warn you, I could write it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Please, you've already written it, I know you have. No, I haven't. I actually haven't. But you, know, <laughs> you just leave in blanks for the policy choices, right? Right. Yeah. And then you, you, know, you, can, you can come up with something right now that I think if there are questions to be addressed, like how do you decide the breakdown of teacher workdays? Because it seems to me like we're all agreed that that's a function for the school system to do based on where the breaks and quarters are and holidays are. And that doesn't really require a whole lot of community input. But that needs to be done far enough in advance so that you can publish them. So it, it's it's actually not a complicated process. The, the challenge is actually making the decisions about policies, about starting, how long breaks are, and how they're scheduled. Thank you, Mr. Reininger. Okay, I think and we're... We'll be happy yep. to support you any way we can. Okay, great. Thank you, everyone. Great conversation. Uh, let's move on now to our last um, 
item on the on the agenda. It's section 2.04, the quarterly budget report. And Dr. Noonan. Yep, thanks. I'm going to turn it over here quickly in just a second to Ms. Michael. Um, but before I do, I want to thank uh, I want to thank her, and I also want to thank Michelle Kopic for her extraordinary work um, pulling all these numbers together tonight. Um, is the first night that you, you're going to get a quarterly report um, after we stop doing monthly reports. Um, so this is sort of the first time we are doing the quarterly report because they were becoming sort of burden, not burdensome, but becoming, um, I, I don't know what the right terminology is, but you're not a burden. <laughs> That's not what I mean. Um, what I meant was they became materials for your review uh, anyway. I'm going to stop talking before I dig a deeper hole. Um, but. But I do want to let all of you know that because this is the first time you've, some of you may have seen this big quarterly report, you're going to get a lot of information and you might get flooded. And if you do, I just want to let all of you know that um, Kristen and Michelle have um, agreed to make themselves available. Um, so if you would like to schedule a time with them to kind of go through it in more detail so that you can kind of know what each of these categories are and, and how they're looked at and the like, um, they both offered to, to be available to the board. So with that, I'll turn it over to Ms. Michael. Thank you so much. Um, I truly appreciate the opportunity this evening to present this information to you. Um, but of course, it, it goes without saying that I really need to thank Michelle Kopic. She is the person who put this report together. She did all of the projections for year end and just does tremendous work. So I know she's listening to the meeting right now. So Michelle, thank you so, so much. So as Dr. Noonan indicated, this is the first quarterly report we're doing. We had previously been doing monthly reports. And based on feedback that we got this month um, for the quarterly report, we included a new summary sheet on the first page. So this report is really kind of lengthy. So what we tried to do is for each section of the report on page one, we gave the highlighted bullets for that. So we hope that's helpful. And again, we always welcome your feedback and look for an opportunity to meet with people um, because we do wanna make these as helpful to the school board as we can. So I'm gonna start talking first about the chart on um, page two. And the first section of the report is the monthly financial report that has data through the end of month nine, which is the end of March. So when we look at this chart, um, it's followed by two charts on the next page that compare it to the two prior fiscal years. So overall, when we look at revenue, we're tracking relatively consistent with the budget and with the prior years. So just as a reminder, transfers both from the general government and our interfund transfers and the use of fund balance are never posted until the end of the fiscal year. So that's why all of those are currently zero. Um, as been all year long, sales tax really remains the bright news in this budget. We're currently 24% higher than budgeted, um, which is kind of amazing. So while we have that great news, it's also important to remind ourselves that the state, when they develop the budget projections from next year that we used, they do include that increased growth. So we don't expect to see the significant sales tax coming in over budget next year, um, like we are this year. When we look at the expenditures, um, overall right now we are higher um, in terms of percentage spent than in the prior years. Um, the first category is salaries. We're expending them faster than prior years. We currently have 33.6% available. And that's due to the one-time increments that we pay to our employees this year that are included in those salary totals. So if we exclude those one-time payments, our salaries are actually tracking under budget. So we're spending less than we budgeted. And it's really consistent with the data from two fiscal years ago. So from FY20 when we were um, just had the COVID impact at the very end. And then when we look at logistics expenditures this year, we are tracking higher than the prior years with a lower percentage available. 
And that's really due to the impact of COVID and then the encumbrance that we have for two electric buses, um, which is really kind of a significant expenditure that we see in this fiscal year. So following these charts on pages two, three, and four, we have a detailed narrative where we walk through and we explain the details for all of the revenue and expenditure categories that I've just kind of covered at a high level. Um, and then following that, we also have um, a detailed chart that shows revenue and expenditures by type. It shows all of the details for each of those categories. So they're there for your reference as well. So the second section of the report tonight is for projections for year end. And that's a summary chart on page 16 that I'm gonna ask um, John to forward us to. There we go. So this chart is a little bit complicated, so I'd really like to kind of talk about it in two ways. So John, we're gonna start at the top section of the chart, which is revenue. So when you look at this chart, this year we've had a significant impact from one-time money related to the pandemic. So we've divided the revenue and the expenditure sections into two different sections. The top section being what we're calling operating on this chart. That's really kind of the budget as we started this year. And then the section below that is one-time, so that's one-time funding. So I'm gonna walk through this current year budget first and talk about that, and then I'll come back to the one-time funding. So when we look at our projections for year end for our original budget, starting with revenue, when we look at our revenue um, for the state, we're projected to be 400,000 or, 400, or about 0.4 million higher than budgeted, and that's primarily due to that excess sales tax that we're seeing this year. And kind of coincidentally, that amount of increased sales tax is about even with the amount of one-time beginning balance funding we were projecting to use. So when you look at how much we project out and not using any fund balance at this point, it shows that we're forecasting that overall for this year, our revenue would be $51,310 lower than we had budgeted and without any use of fund balance. So that, that's the number in the first light blue bar all the way over to the right, $51,310. So if we move down and now we'll look at the expenditure section um, for the original budget first, um, which is the first um, section in the expenditures. So when we look at this chart right now, what you're seeing is our salaries are projected to be overspent by about um, $900,000, that eight eighty-eight two ten. Right, and that's because the one-time increments are included in that total. So we're, we're thinking about using this data to forecast for the next year. It's important that we mentally take that out. So if we remove the cost of those one-time increments, just looking at how our budget is tracking um, compared to what we were forecasting at the beginning of the year, we're actually underspending in terms of our salaries by about $600,000, right? So that's important information as we think about and what we've done for next fiscal year. And we did include um, increasing our budget for that savings from what we call turnover, which is vacancy and lapse, right? The change when um, employees who are longer tenure in the system retire and we hire newer people with less experience. So we did increase our budget for that turnover next year, which is important because we're, we're seeing that we are underspending our salaries by about 600,000 after we take out the impact of the, the one-time increments. Does that make sense? 
does. Is that is that why the there's not a correlation between salaries and benefits in terms of salaries? Okay. Exactly. Okay. That's exactly why. So when we look at those one-time increments, they were not um, eligible in terms of any salary-sensitive benefits. So they did not impact retirement, life insurance, any of those salary-sensitive benefits. So that's exactly why when you look at this forecast for the end of the year, you're absolutely right. It looks like you know we're overspending on salaries, but why aren't we overspending on benefits? And it's that one-time increment. Um, so when we look at all of our other accounts that we're projecting here, um, separate from salaries and benefits for the rest of the year, um, we are showing that overall, all of our other accounts, um, after we um, account for not spending our transfers and reserves, um, it looks like they're all going to be netting out um, just slightly lower than we had budgeted for the year. So when you look at that overall, um, it accounts for we're expending $1.4 million higher than we budgeted. And again, that's really important because we need to remove the two one-time items that are included in the expenditures this year, the increments and the electric bus. So if we take those out of our thinking, we really this year would be underspending on expenditures by about $800,000, um, right, which is slightly um, a slightly higher number in terms of underexpending than we would hope. Um, hence are increasing our budget for laps for next year. So when we go back and we look at the one-time funding on this chart, this fiscal year included in the top, the general government increased our budget appropriation by 1.8 million. And that was to account for one-time revenue that they're sharing with us. The first of which on that top line um, is they provided us with $833,500, which was funding from FY21 year end. So our revenue sharing agreement says that when the revenue that's included in our revenue sharing calculation comes in higher than budgeted, they share that excess with us as if it had been included in that revenue sharing agreement. So that provided additional revenue to us of $833,500. They then also provided us with support this year in terms of ARPA, um, that's the American um, Recovery Plan Investment Act. And they provided us with pandemic funding to support a school counselor, and they provided us with two years of funding at once. They provided us with funding to help us replace the HVAC at Mary Ellen Henderson and some amount of funding to cover um, the employee one-time increments, the 255000 So all of those are included in that top section in terms of one-time additions. So then we need to look at our one-time expenditures, also shown on this chart. And to do that, what we did is we first showed one line just showing us all of that expenditure authority added together, that $1.836, um, $1,836,500, which ties to the one-time revenue. And then we included all of the items below um, that we are recommending that that funding is spent upon. Um, so what I would like to do is when we look overall, um, after accounting for all of these one-time expenditures, um, which are 2.2 million in expenditures. Um, we would be using fund balance to cover the portion of these expenditures that we don't have in that one-time funding from the general government. So what we would be doing is we would be spending fund balance, um, which would eventually then reduce our fund balance down to 1.6 million. So John, if we can just look at the chart really quickly on the next page. A little bit farther down, there we go. So when you look at our, <laughs> our fund balance. If you go back to pre-pandemic times, our fund balance each year was somewhere in the $1 million to $2 million range. And when we got into the pandemic, 
right, with very um, significant uncertainty in terms of revenue, with turnover in terms of staff, our fund balance had really increased. And we had been very cautiously saving it during the pandemic. But now with our projections to year end and this available fund balance, we would like to make recommendations that we would bring back to the school board in terms of spending some of that one-time balance um, to address some of our needs. So I'll walk through all of the items that we're recommending as well as the things um, that are being funded that the board has previously agreed to, which all of those details follow. Um, and then again, after accounting for all of these expenditures that we're recommending, our fund balance would decrease to 1.6 million, which is really in um, solid alignment with what we had in fund balance before and still leaves the board with a cushion um, to address other priorities or any funding uncertainties that we might see. So we're recommending that we replace um, teacher laptops at the preschool and elementary level. Um, so we had been engaging in a lease with Apple and in the past we had always replaced the computers for all of the students at Midland High School as well as the staff. And then all of the MacBooks that they had were passed down to elementary. And that's really been our long-standing practice. But that meant that elementary teachers were not getting new laptops, only our secondary teachers. Um, and with fund balance, we think it's really important that we invest in ensuring that all of the teachers at both JTP, Mount Daniel, and Oak Street receive new um, MacBooks. So that estimated cost is $150,000. And then moving forward, I think we should incorporate this into our ongoing practice. So when we replace laptops for the staff at the secondary level, they're replaced for preschool and elementary as well. Then the second item we're recommending are interactive displays. So when we built the new high school, um, all of the classrooms in the high school received interactive displays. They were from a company called Clear Touch. Um, if you go to our elementary schools, we have very old smart boards. I, I'm sure many of you have seen them. Um, and at the secondary at uh, Mary Ellen Henderson, the classrooms do not all have smart boards. So based on the feedback that we're getting from the instructional team at the high school and working with Steve Knight and all of the instructional technology specialists, we would really like to invest in ensuring that we have digital display boards that are smart board-like at all of our classrooms. So in order to get teacher feedback, um, we're facilitating a pilot, so we'll be able to test them. Um, but we would like to test the board if we can set aside funding to ensure that we could roll that out. When we look at um, many of these things on the list that we're going to go through, the timing and the reason we're bringing them to the school board now is typically you would wait until fiscal year end and then make any funding decisions you have on your ending balance. But when we do that, we wouldn't be making those decisions until the fall, and that takes away our ability to do things over the summer, right? So if we can get approval to do some of these things, our goal would be to have them um, set up and ready for the teachers and students to benefit from in the fall. The next item is replacing flooring at Mary Ellen Henderson. Um, the board previously had approved us replacing the flooring on the main level of Mary Ellen Henderson, and we would like to finish upgrading the flooring in that building. So it would be the second and the third floor, as well as on the first floor, the classrooms and hallway areas. That's approximately $400,000. The next item we have is $72,000 for stormwater facility maintenance at Oak Street Elementary. Um, Oak Street Elementary stormwater systems um, have been evaluated and they need some ongoing maintenance to ensure that they are debris free, that the plantings are growing well, and that they're really filtering the stormwater in the way that we would like. Included in that is we have some cisterns that are on the side of the school that really haven't been used, and they are causing some internal water intrusion into the building. So they would be removed and that landscape regraded, again, to ensure that we have better stormwater management, no runoff, and that we're not getting water intruding into the building. So that's 
The next item is support for food service. Um, two years ago, the school board did include additional funding for food service of a half a million dollars. This is a request to again do that. Um, during the pandemic, of course, when school was closed, food services was not generating the revenue that they were generating previously to be a self-supporting enterprise. And during that time, we repurposed all of that staff and we shifted to providing pandemic food. So they were doing food baskets for families weekly. Then once we return to school, we've been participating in the federal school lunch program that is providing free meals for all students. Um, so again, we're not getting any funding in terms of lunch sales currently, we're getting funding from the free and reduced meals program. Knowing that, it appears that food services is going to have spent their ending balance. Um, so while we have funding available in the operating fund, we would again like to provide support to food services so we can ensure that they can um, return from the pandemic um, go back to charging lunch fees and, and get back in terms of being on their feet and serving their great food that Richard Kane and his team provide. Um, and then we do have included on here just for the board reference, we have a placeholder for the strategic plan. So as the strategic plan is implemented, um, we will um, come back to the board when there are one-time funding and needs that we would want to request. And then the last section are projects that are already underway and were included in the advertised budget but we included them on here just because um, any of them that will be using funding from fund balance, it was important that we showed you a comprehensive expenditure um, document. So the first item is the HVAC replacement at Mary Ellen Henderson. That project was initially estimated to be 1.6 million. We had received 498,000 from federal CLSRF funds. The general government had provided pandemic matching funds from ARPA in the same amount. And then we need about 600,000, we believe, in one-time funding to complete that project. Um, that um, IFB is currently out for bid. We had vendors um, doing a phone call last week. They did a site visit today. So we'll know those are final amounts um, once those bid close. But again, we're really hopeful that we'll have that all completely replaced over the summer. Um, also in FY23 in the budget document, we had 300,000 for collective bargaining and $100,000 for textbooks. So both of those are listed in this document. And then the last item is included in the um, governor's budget proposal was over a million dollars, 1.3 million, that we were going to use to provide a secure vestibule and an ADA access to the Oak Street entrance um, to Oak Street Elementary. The state budget isn't yet finalized, and this is one of the items that it seems like they're going back and forth between will we be fully funded, will it end up being a grant. Um, we have listed it in this document just so we know that in the event we don't get that state funding, um, this project really is critical for safety and security. So we would be coming back to the board um, to seek funding in terms of being able to move forward with that project without state funding if necessary. So when you look at all of these expenditures um, and all of our ending balance, this is what we would be recommending to the board in terms of funding for next year. So again, I know this was a ton of information and I went pretty quickly um, but Michelle and I would be really happy to go through this in detail with anyone so thank you and I'm happy to take any questions thank you Ms. Michael and as always thank you to you and uh, Ms. Kopic you all do a amazing I can't even imagine how long this takes to get this report together for us so thank you both very much uh, any questions from the board uh, Ms. Silverman so this might be because I'm a novice on the school board here. Um, so not quite understanding the process or, or how all the budgetary items work. The funding consideration details that start on page 19. So those are one-time funding requests 
that um, the administration is asking for the board to approve. Is that correct? We will be coming to the board and asking you to approve them in May. In and May. yes, we have talked okay. with them with all the school and some of the technology has come up at our previous meetings for Peak and other places. Okay, that's great to know that that's where the information came from because I guess that's where I was going to go next was, you know, why these projects? Um, and, you know, I, I guess it kind of goes back to the initial discussions I had with Dr. Noonan when we were going over the budget. You know, can we see what's not chosen on this list? Um, not that I'm against any of these projects. Um, I think they all, you know, provide tremendous value. Um, you know, of, of course we should be doing a lot of these things. It, it, it makes sense. But at what you know, at what expense, you know, what, what's not getting funded on these one-time projects. I think it would be helpful to see what was not chosen to be on this list, if that's okay. Absolutely. When we um, built a new high school, right, and have the wonderful technology in those classrooms, right, as we use that building for professional development and other components, it really did highlight how aging our technology was um, at the elementary schools in particular. Um, right, so we would be happy to share additional information. It's just funny, the aging smart boards, I'm thinking to myself, well, what about chalkboards? But I guess that's very 1980s. <laughs> Mr. Bates, thank you for the eye roll. <laughs> thank you, Ms. Lerner. Yes, Vice Chair Gould. Yes, so the, uh, yeah, I do appreciate the presentation and always the, uh, the organized manner in which it's presented. Um, the, uh, the question about the ADA access, um, you said that's a grant right now it's going to be grant funds or that's or that's the preliminary thinking of so how we would apply for those it was included in the governor's proposal as an outright grant okay right for the specific amount so it was just given to us without needing to do anything okay as we look at the house and senate in terms of the state budget and they haven't come to a conclusion each of them treated that funding differently and in both cases it wasn't just an outright um entitlement grant some of them were indicating they might do something that's competitive or make a change. But until the General Assembly finalizes a budget, we won't know exactly what they're going to do with that funding. Do we know any of the, the, the debated requirements for those grants? Would it be needs-based at all, where we would probably not be as competitive? So I haven't seen any of the requirements yet, but certainly being needs-based is one of my most significant concerns. Right In the past, they've looked at things like age of the building, um, you know, your level of poverty, the number of um, students who speak other languages. So in general, if it goes to a purely grant-based statewide, there's a lot of school divisions that have facilities that are older than ours. Okay. Makes sense. And then the other question was about the, uh, the, um, the interactive boards. I know that this is more operational uh, requests, but I would just hope that we can partner this with uh, our Title II funds or any kind of PD to ensure since this is a significant amount of investment um, and, and knowing that sometimes these are high costs and they can be used in, in a very um, minimal way, it would be great to make sure we show our teachers and staff how to use these highly expensive uh, boards. Absolutely. So we um, met with the assistant principals and the principals earlier this week and we are going to pilot having one in each grade level and they'll be on a cart. So they'll be able to be used by multiple teachers as we gather feedback about is this the right investment? Are these the right boards? Will they be used? And we'll also be including professional development in that pilot because you're absolutely right. We need to ensure that this is exactly on what will work for teachers before we make this investment. All right, thanks. 
Yes, Dr. Ortiz. Yeah, thank you so much, um, Kristen, and also Michelle for the hard work in this. You know, these are you know, yeah, yeah, certainly a whole lot of information. Um, I would I'd like to ask, given kind of I think the scale of expenditures and the overlap, I think with the capital improvement plan and some other pieces, if 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 you and Dr. Nunu would be able to do the kind of one-on-two um, meetings just to, to review these in a little bit more detail and take, I think, a little bit more time before we got to the main meeting. Sure. I, I think we'd be, we'd make ourselves available for anybody who wanted to come. Thanks. I'll, I'll send my request tomorrow and cool. we'll get on the calendar. Great. Thank you, Dr. Ortiz. Any other questions? So, oh, I'm sorry. So I, I missed the little hand emoji there, Mr. Redinger. Thank you, Chair. Uh, just uh, one quick comment and uh, a thank you. Uh, as Dr. Ortiz said, um, it's it's a lot of work that goes into preparing these reports. And so um, I'd like to thank uh, both you, Ms. Michael, and, and Ms. Kopic for the work that goes into preparing these. It's, you know, I, I understand, as I think the rest of the board does, how difficult it is to prepare all of this data in a way that's consumable. And I also am fully supportive of the notion of doing the deeper dives on a quarterly basis with reports just coming out on a monthly basis because um, there's, a, there's a limited ability to uh, absorb all of this and I think your approach is really helpful. Um, the other thing I wanted to flag is um, I, I do think strong justifications will be needed when additional funds are to be allocated. Um, but I do think the board will understand if um, it's sort of hard, uh, as opposed to say a normal budget process, we're going to say we're funding X but not Y, about what you're not funding here. Because there's obviously some discretion that goes into selecting the particular projects you want to use contingency funding for. Um, and so um, I think just having the right just and explaining the reason for those um, as you've started to do here and as we vote in the future will be super helpful. But again, um, my thanks to you and Ms. Kopic for the strong amount of work that went into this. And um, for those who are not new board members, uh, you might want to go back and um, uh, look at some of the meetings from, say, five years ago and see the difference in the degree of transparency. And it's, um, it's pretty impressive how far we've come. So um, I think that's, uh, that's uh, attributable to the current staff, staff we have on board. So thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Ranger. I, I completely agree. Uh, back in the old days when you were running for school board, I remember that was a huge topic about the transparency of the budget. And so we don't hear that anymore from the community. So it's really kudos to you and Ms. Kopic for that. Anyone else? I had uh, two very quick questions. Uh, one is, uh, Ms. Michael, can you remind me, pre-COVID, was food, was food services self-sufficient? I can't remember. Yes, food services had been self-sufficient for a significant number of years pre-pandemic. Their revenues had actually started to decrease slightly before the pandemic, but then once we closed school, um, their revenue became not sufficient to meet their expenditures. Um, Richard Kane, I know, um, 
for providing an update to the school board had just done a school food committee um, where they met with 12 students from the secondary level to gather input so one of the great pieces of input that the students gave is when they go through in the morning and are getting breakfast right they were serving one breakfast item a day um, but Richard and Cindy Morrell who's the assistant food service director came up with a methodology where students could have the selections from every single day and then pick so they basically were serving everything every day and that was feedback from the students that they incorporated that went really well um, so they're going to continue to meet with students meeting again in May um, and our hope is really that we can continue to provide that great scratch cooked healthy food um, but by gathering input from students that we can make it even better and return to being um, fully self-supporting great great that, thank you I know um, this school board chair does not make school lunches so all, all of her boys uh, so they're, they're my, our school box my school box is ready to kick in it's uh it's usually having to be replenished weekly so anyway um but thank you i i know that i did notice on noonan's notes i i do the one feedback i would give that that i think richard heard is just sometimes the lines get long so i know that's and the principals are aware of that too and we have been meeting each month um, between operations directors and the school staff and that is one of the things they're looking at next year in terms of the lunch periods and how we can help address the lines to make them shorter great thank you so much I actually saw Richard on Friday and he was showing me that they're actually setting up two lines for two more lines for uh, the brunch oh, okay do, so it should go more smoothly great great thank you and then the only other question I had uh, was in regards to the sales tax I was just curious is that because it was so under budgeted because of COVID and then it just because everyone was going to the ABC stores and buying online and stuff yes so yeah. when you look at sales tax this is really the second year in a row that our sales tax has exceeded the projections so we're a small school division so we rely on the state's projections for sales tax and yes when the pandemic first started I think the state and everyone including the general government was projecting that sales tax would decrease um, but what we really saw is while people weren't eating out, the sales tax generated grocery stores, for example, increased substantially, um, as did sales tax revenue from people who are shopping and having things delivered, mm -hmm. right? So sales tax last year and this year both have exceeded the state projections. Yeah, that's great. And speaking of that, I'm sorry, where, where are we state in terms of the grocery tax in Richmond? <laughs> we really don't have any update on that. It won't, yeah. We won't know until um, the budget is passed whether or not they adopt the, the House version of the budget or the Senate version of the budget. Okay. Um, the uh, Senate version's better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know that's for, for the, not for this budget, it's for the next one, but just curious when you said the grocery stores. Okay, any other questions from anyone or comments? Okay, well, I think that brings us uh, to the close of our agenda. Let me just double check. Can I, can yes. I just mention one thing? Yes, uh, please. Just sort of following up the conversation that we had at the retreat. Um, I just wanted to let everybody know that last night the city council met and they decided not to move forward with the CNI tax, um, which is a, a tax that was going to be on small businesses. It would still be a reduction in the tax rate for small businesses, but made the decision um, at the dais not to do that. So as a consequence of that, um, their, their plan to make up the difference from the CNI tax is to utilize a portion of that $1.2 million that was set aside. Um, along with looking at some um, tax re relief for um, seniors out of that as well. So my conversation with Wyatt Shields, city manager yesterday, sort of indicated that there's gonna be about $575,000 left in that um, set aside uh, after those two 
taxing um, changes have been made. So I just wanted to let you know that they are um, they're spending down that that money through tax reduction. And so does how does that affect? Not meaning to put you on the spot, but how does that affect knowing that we have a revenue sharing agreement? How does that? Well, it, it impacts the amount of money that we would get as part of the revenue share. So assuming there's $500,000 left, we should get $250,000 of that remaining $500,000. Um, it would have been nice to get half of the $1.2 million that was originally set in, mm -hmm. put in the set aside. And I think one of the things that's been raised to me is we just need to be cautious going forward that, um, that the use of any set aside be some way to avoid the revenue sharing agreement and that's sort of what it, it feels and looks a little bit like right now mm -hmm. okay so we have some some heart-to-heart uh, -heart discussions ahead of us yes, I think I think so yes especially okay. if we want to remain good strong partners in the city right right and yeah, I know in the city government because we're all part of the city right right and I know not to get into I know this is the next budget but uh, you know one of the things I know that you've told us is that we were hoping to have that money to increase the COLA for our employees and I think uh, one of the reasons um, that I had heard from City Council is is looking at um, City Council increases versus school board and I know that I mean I'm not school boards um, school staff and I know that our teachers are, are a little bit below actually what City Council um, City employees will be increased and um, not only that, you know, it's sort of apples to oranges. We're looking at our, you know, we're competing for teachers with our surrounding school systems. And I know you've told me that some of those um, surrounding school systems will be increasing quite higher than we're able to increase. So um, it's it's important that we have those funds for our for our staff. So and, and I'll I'll just remind the board and the community. There's an optics issue here too, mm -hmm. and the optics um, are that the city uh, council uh, approved a pay raise out of budget cycle for all of their employees prior to um, this year's budget. So the budget that has been presented by the city manager actually looks like a lesser increase for the, the general government staff. Um, but in fact, as you indicated, that plus what they got in the out of cycle increase is greater than what our, our staff are getting. That's, that's correct. They, right. So the city staff, and I think that's important piece if we're going to talk about, you know, city staff not that it's a city staff versus school staff but if we are going to have that conversation uh city staff did receive more than than school staff this year and uh, we were hoping for that for that revenue sharing to increase our cola so uh that's unfortunate um and again i think as this you know looking to my colleagues um you know we are continuing to have you know there's a teacher shortage in this in this state and in this country and we know that um, being a teacher as a result of COVID is even tougher. And so uh, for us, we need to do everything we can to remain competitive to get the best teachers we can in terms of salary. And also, of course, to, to compensate our non-teacher staff, our, our operations staff and our support staff as well. So um, it is something that we're just um, gonna have to talk more about, but that's, that's somewhat disappointing to hear, but thank you for the update. Anything else from anyone? Okay. Well, with that, uh, thank you everyone else and everyone for being here tonight, especially thank you to the staff for uh, giving us your evening. We really appreciate it and uh, have a good evening. Thank you. We're adjourned. <laughs>